Well, but it's been nice knowing you. I'm uh, moving on. It's been great doing the Truck Show podcast with you all these years. I think, uh, what, three years now? What is, what is the bell? What does that mean? Uh, it just shows my excitement for your breaking news. Okay, yes, yeah. So it's going to be the Truck Show podcast with Holman. Uh, because I'm going to go and work for... And Johnny Lieberman? Uh, nope, just uh, Holman. And Emmy Hall? Nope, just Holman. Uh, uh, no one's willing to work for And homeless guy off the street. Yes, that's possible. Uh, you can stop with the bell now. I'm going to go work for Mr. Greg Adler. You wish. Uh, he doesn't know it yet. Uh-huh. And I'm, uh, but I'm going to pitch it. But you already have a day job. And you already have this night job. Oh, yeah, that's true. Greg's grandfather started four-wheel parts in, like, the 60s. Yeah, and then Greg took the business to, like, entrepreneurial level. Uh, well said. 100. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, then he apparently got bored. Uh, you know, we, instead of buying that uh, island in the Bahamas, he decided to start over at entrepreneurial level one. And uh, we're going to talk to him about his uh, most recent exploits of purchasing a uh, famed Southern California off-road retailer, Off-Road Warehouse, and his plans to uh, take it nationwide. So I think that's a, a pretty cool entrepreneurial story. You'll get to hear the the roots of uh, four-wheel parts in Transamerica and also find out where uh, Greg is going next. So I'm personally stoked to have Greg on the show. We've wanted him for a long time. But first, we got to thank our friends at Nissan. They've got the Nissan Titan on the front here that, uh, what? I'm I'm enjoying your uh, radio guy read. I know, it was weird. I was kind of sing-songing it. Nissan Frontier. On the Truck Show Podcast, I lapse, presented by Nissan I, and also Nissan. I lapse into that every once in a while, and I hate yeah. me for well, it. Well, it's funny because you will tell me, you sound sing-songy, and I'm like, just read any of our sponsor reads, and you're like, this is an average sponsor read by Radio Guy. <laughs> and I'm like, well, seriously? There's, what just happened I there? don't have any papers in front of me. I'm you not reading it. squat. Well, I we just... have, well, we never have papers in front of us. That's oh. what makes our... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I, I, our pure, unadulterated passion for our sponsors come out loud and clear and true because uh, we're we're talking from our hearts. And when I'm talking from my heart, I talk Nissan. Okay, I talk Frontier. Beautiful. You know what I'm saying, yeah. brother? <laughs> I appreciate that. I'm sure <laughs> Nissan does too. Hey, you guys got to check out the 2022 <laughs> Nissan Frontier, especially the Pro 4X model coming this summer which is going to be super awesome. I, uh, I have to wait for the Pro 4X? I mean, I think that's the one to have. You don't have, well, you'll have to wait for the Frontier because it's not out yet. But you can get today's Frontier with the same engine as tomorrow's Frontier, the very good dual overhead cam, direct injected 3.8 liter V6 with class leading horsepower at 310 and an excellent nine-speed automatic transmission. If you need a bigger truck, you can also check out the Nissan Titan or Titan XD with a industry's best five-year, 100,000-mile warranty. Head on over to NissanUSA.com. You forgot about the line of NV vans, dude. I did not forget about them. Oh. Ever. <laughs> okay. Especially when there's one right outside the window. Oh, there is actually yeah, one it's right look, outside. It's looking at well, you. Well, I know. How did you not it's just... Lo it's literally looking at you You were right going to go now. right into NissanUSA.com. You weren't going to say anything about the, the NV vans. Well, I don't need to. They speak for themselves at NissanUSA.com. Okay. Or at your local Nissan dealer. So if you have a need to organize all your stuff in your truck or van, look no further than Decked.com, where you can find the D-Box, the Crossbox, the drawers, and the all-new, made-in-the-USA Decked Toolbox. USA! USA! Why am I doing it alone? Oh, I was just admiring your passion for America. <laughs> Decked.com. And we've said it before, if you are especially hard on your brakes, you should head on down to your local AutoZone and check out the Pursuit <laughs> Like <pads>. Holman. <coughs> Holman. Wrenches on his brakes. <laughs> I don't. I have a clutch. I use the engine to brake. You do I not, hardly dude. ever use you my brakes. You are stop and go guy. What? You just no. On you're the 405 late, is the only late way to breaker. be. Nah. You are late breaker. Nah, well, you know what? Maybe I need uh, the pursuit pads, <laughs> yes, which are specially do. designed for vehicles making repetitive high speed stops. That's you. 
And of course, you can pair them with Duralast Parts Excellent Pursuit Rotors, which have advanced thermal control for frequent fast stops. These fully zinc-coated rotors reduce rust and prevent excessive wear from road grime and debris. And they offer application-specific metallurgy for improved heat dissipation and available for over 93% of all vehicles on the road 2000 and newer. That's a lot. And you can get everything at your local AutoZone or DuralastParts.com. Are you guys finished blathering? Let's start the show. The Truck Show. We're going to show you what we know. We're going to answer what the truck. Because truck rides with The Truck Show. We have the lifted. We have the lowered and everything in between. We'll talk about trucks that run on diesel and the ones that run on gasoline. The Truck Show. The Truck Show, the Truck Show, whoa, 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 whoa. It's the Truck Show with your hosts, Why Lightning and Holman. Why to ruin the intro? Every time we do the intro, <laughs> there you are, offbeat and yelling crap at the end and just blah, 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 I'm lightning. Why? The see, intro's a beautiful, you know what, the intro is sacred. See, see, what's funny here, people, is that Holman is always the one that does it, and he just flipped the script on me. I approve of this message. <laughs> yes, you do. So uh, what are we going to do for the show? You want to get into our friend Greg Adler from Off-Road Warehouse? I would like to call one of my childhood heroes. Uh, you may not ask him for a new job, though. I am pretty happy with what I'm doing now, so I won't ask him for a gig, but I will be a little jealous that I'm not on his team. All right, that's fair. Let's give him a call. All right. Hello. Is this one Mr. Greg Adler, president of Off-Road Warehouse? Uh, I heard he was the head mother in charge. Oh, is that true? You got the mother on the phone. Awesome. <laughs> All right, we have a quick intro. Don't move. What does it take to be an entrepreneur? What does it take to be an entrepreneur? Quit your job and get a loan. And don't let anyone tell you you can't. Go into debt and don't look back. Don't worry, there will always be another crappy job. This is what it takes to be. Now, Greg, if you listen to the show... He doesn't. Which hopefully you don't. But if you do, <laughs> you'll know that everyone gets a custom intro. And that one is all about uh, quitting your job and, and going for broke and being an entrepreneur. And you are... You'd or, already... or or quitting your job by selling it and then starting all over from zero when you could have bought yourself an island in the Caribbean and uh, lived away from everybody in a wonderful, <laughs> uh, luxurious lifestyle for the rest of your life. No, yeah. you had to go back and do it all over again. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously, the way you put it like that, I think I'm going to go uh, jump off a cliff here. So <laughs> we'll keep this nice and short for everybody. No, there's no short. There's no short. And Greg Adler, thank you very much for coming on the Truck Show Podcast. <laughs> we, need to, we need to rewind the clock as we do here. A little harp sound effect as we go back in time. Greg, your father started four-wheel parts, 4WP as we know it now, and, and Trans-American back like, it was 55 years old when you guys yes. sold it, correct? So, uh, correct. Well, so 1961 is about the date we figured was when the business started. It actually started with my grandfather, and they were importing uh, Jeep surplus parts because guys were coming back from... Uh, you know, serving the country in Korea and other places, driving Jeeps around. And the Jeep thing was just starting. Warren Industries started maybe a few years before Trans-American. 
So Jeep, a Jeep kind of thing was happening, and, and it started as uh, just bringing in surplus military Jeep parts. My dad was the first full-time employee, so he walked into the business, ah. didn't know a thing. He walked into a, a, a small, you know, basically closet garage kind of building, and, and here's all these parts that he had no idea what was what. But, you know, through time and hard work and determination, figured out, you know, oh, this must this is a transmission part for such and such and got on the Greyhound bus and went and visited customers that were, you know, Jeep shops or Jeep dealers um, and would sell these these products and eventually built the company up from that start. Um, And as Chevrolet got brought the Blazer out in the four by fours in the late 60s, Ford Broncos. Um, Jeep was continuing to build, you know, my dad expanded from just being Jeep into, you know, aftermarket parts from different manufacturers like Warren, uh, Bestop, Dulomatic, other brands that are still in our industry, but we're, we're really at the forefront of it, you know, way back in the, you know, call it late sixties, early seventies or so. So that's, that's kind of how it, how it started now Greg go back to like the first brick and mortar it went from like the garage and there, there was no internet obviously back then and obviously the traveling salesman was that's how he did it like he went uh, hopped on a bus and showed up in a new city or drove or flew I would imagine oh yeah yeah and uh, when I you know when I was in the business with him as the uh, as the owner he would tell me plenty of times you know because if sales weren't good he'd say well you know get on a bus and go make some calls like I used to do. So uh, I, I heard that plenty of times. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it it started that small. And then the first store, you know, my dad really, and he doesn't take any credit for any of this, but he was, he was really one of the first multi-channel retailers because he had um, all these Jeep products that he was selling wholesale to small, either Jeep dealers that couldn't get the parts uh, anywhere else or couldn't get them as cheap or to these small kind of, you know, jobber off-road Jeep shops. And then he, uh, he tells a story that he, he walked in to see one of these customers. The guy had a Sears catalog opened up on the counter and he said, look, George, you're, you're going to be in trouble here. Look, Sears is now selling Jeep parts and they had something in their catalog for a Jeep. So he went back and said, Oh, I've got a, I've got to now have a mail order business because I've got to compete against Sears. So he started four wheel parts. So what had been trans American auto parts, he named as four wheel parts wholesalers and ran an ad in the early off-road magazines like four wheeler and started getting uh, customers mailing checks. I remember going to the post office with him and he'd be, you know, happy as if, if there were three or four envelopes that had been mailed in <laughs> with the order form and a check, and he'd be pretty unhappy if if uh, he opened up that P.O. box and there was nothing in it. Or bills. So, or bills, yeah. Uh, so uh, I just wanted to, real quick, uh, Greg, one of the things I wanted to mention is uh, Four Wheeler really grew up with the business. Uh, Four Wheeler was launched in 1962, uh, and it's the timing. oldest off-road magazine. And so that, I mean, really, when you look back at the, uh, you know, if you want to call them buff books, or if you want to call them the you know, enthusiast aftermarket, companies like Four Wheel Parts and Transamerica and the magazines, and especially looking on the hot rod side and the relationships they had with, let's say, the Edelbrocks and things like that, a, a lot of these relationships are multi-generational all the way to today. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And that speaks to, you know, when people would ask me about how the business got started and I would, I would talk about this, this kind of hobby of Jeep and four by four and kind of started in that early, early sixties period. And, and that magazine was, uh, you know, a key piece to, to having that grow. And for a long time we had, you know, some of our, our best relationships with, was with everybody from the magazine, whether it be the editors or, you know, the publishers or the guys, you know, the sales guys. We always had a good time with those guys. I didn't realize that it started off wholesale and then went retail. I thought it went the other way around. Hmm. Yeah. And actually when it was, so it started off, it was, it went to mail order and, you know, the first store that as, is it built as my dad grew slowly, we were in the, the off-road Mecca of Inglewood, California. <laughs> and, you know, we're wow. still, you know, <laughs> the business is, is still in Compton uh, today anyway. And, and uh, so, you know, we were always in this kind of neighborhood. And I remember going to the shops at times where the alarm would go off and the door would be broken. And, you know, we'd go in in the morning and the safe would be knocked on its side and there were chairs and hammers and chisels. These guys were spending all night trying to beat the shit out of the safe that uh, would sur- survive the night. But uh, yeah, if you, it if wasn't you guys a don't, perfect If you guys don't know place. Inglewood, that is where the Fabulous Forum is, where the Lakers used to play. Right. And it's 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 hoodish. It's also where <laughs> the uh, the new uh, stadium, uh, was it SoFi for uh, the Chargers and Rams, is there. And they're doing a huge redevelopment sure. around the area. But back in the day and still today, there are some really – I, I remember being a young magazine guy where somebody said, hey, need you to install a story. Uh, you got to go out to Four Wheel Parts and pick it up at Will Call, and you know I'm some kid from Orange County who has a dream job, and I'm like, oh, okay, where where is it? You have to go to Compton. Well, everything that I ever knew about Compton came from an NWA album when I was growing that up. That was the CPT, right? Exactly, right. And I <laughs> I was uh, there were times where I was driving and went, um. Okay, where do I go now? Is that where you roll the windows up and just uh, lock the doors and like try, you know, don't make eye contact with anybody? Yeah, yeah. No, we always thought it made us tougher. And we would have (laughs) business meetings. We'd bring the vendors in, or or sometimes the magazine guys when we had to renegotiate. And we tell them, look, if the if the meeting goes well, we'll give you the proper directions on the way out of here. (laughs) If it doesn't go so well. I can't. We can't promise you a safe passage. Now you just hand him a gat and kick him on the ass and take it out and uh, fend for yourself. So, and, and the funny thing was the next store. So that facility in Inglewood, which had a counter, and so it was doing mail order. It had a retail counter for walk-in business, and in the back was wholesale selling Jeep parts and uh, shipping them out. The second store was in a, another kind of mecca for off-road and just retail. Uh, it was Oakland, California. <laughs> you, you guys what? sure knew your market, now, didn't you? Now, wait a minute. Why? <laughs> Why? Well, here's the story. So my dude, there was a customer up there that uh, was buying products from uh, Transamerican, and he ended up not being able to pay his bill. So my dad you know, went up to see him and basically negotiated to take over his business and start, you know, and, and, and it, it turned into a second store for uh, – for Transamerican and Fool Parts, which did wholesale out of the out of the Oakland for a long time, uh, retail store as well, and had some great people that were with my dad for a lot of years. In fact, with us for uh, for many years at uh, at the company that came you know originally from that Oakland area. So the Bay Area obviously is is huge for for off road and you know getting uh, you know not cruising around the Golden Gate Bridge, but getting out to 
you know, Rubicon and Fordyce Trail and everywhere else you can go play. So it ended up being a great market, a second store. And from there, you know, kind of uh, the retail light bulb was, was somewhat on. It was flickering at that time because it was kind of still, I think, uh, mid-70s or something. And we really got the store formula right as, as we kind of marched on um, in the, uh, I'd say, early, you know, kind of the 90s and beyond, which is when I got involved in the company in 1992. So I spent, I grew up loving the company. I grew up, you know, thinking it was just the coolest. Shit. And one of the things actually coming back to magazines is that I'd ride my bike down to 7-Eleven and I'd show all my buddies that, hey, check this out, check, you know, four-wheeler magazine and check out this ad of four-wheel parts. That's my dad's business. That's our company. And, uh, so it's something I was always proud about and always loved being involved with the business. Spent my summers as a kid in the warehouse, um, flipping forklifts over or, <laughs> you know, doing whatever races. I was told to do. Yeah. You know, what's funny is um, when I first uh, joined the magazine world, uh, or at least the company that is now known as Motor Trend, which went through uh, – Peterson, EMAP, Source Interlink, Prime Media, uh, Ten, the Enthusiast Network. I mean, we've I've, I, I've been here. Uh, this month is 18 years, and so I started in the in the early 2000s, and I had a lot of friends when I was growing up who were counter guys at Four Wheel Parts, and so you'd always try to get their employee discount. And oh, dude, I know Jason over at uh, you know at the Santa Ana store, and and you know he'll, he'll hook you up. And I think I bought when I bought my first four by four, it was a '94 Ranger Splash. And I bought a worn transformer and tow hooks from Four Wheel Parts. And my grandfather and I, on his 1941 Dunlap drill press in his garage, drilled the holes in the transformer upright so that we could bolt the uh, the tow hooks from Four Wheel Parts to that thing. And I still, to this day, have that drill press in my garage. Nice. That's my early I'm, Four Wheel Parts memory. I'm just glad you don't. I'm just glad you don't have the splash in your garage anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, Four Wheel Parts locations used to be hangouts. Like that's where you went. That was yeah. your personal mecca, right, for all things off road. And yeah, there were mom and pops around then. But like you guys had the mix right. It it didn't feel super corporate. All the guys behind the counter knew what was up. Yeah. They were enthusiasts. Well, and even on the on the business side of the magazine, I remember you would have. Uh, when I started, you know, Four Wheeler probably had, I don't know, six pages uh, dedicated to Four Wheel Parts ads where trucking when I was there was like eight or ten pages in an issue, all Four Wheel Parts. And you'd have new advertisers come and they go, you know, here's our ad or oh, we don't we don't know our ad's not working or we don't know what products. And you go, just look at Four Wheel Parts because they know exactly what's working. So whatever they've got in their ad should be a template to everybody else. And it was amazing because you guys would change your ads literally every month for whatever you were pushing or whatever the trends were. And I think a, a lot of people recognize that you guys are really the leaders in figuring out how to do advertising right well, in the space. Well, I'm, I'm curious, Greg. We're skipping way too uh, far ahead in time for my liking. But I, I, I want to ask, when did the light bulb go on for you? When did you realize that you, that you were the gatekeepers, that you could make a brand? You could go pluck someone out of, say, the SEMA show, put them on an end cap in your one of your stores, either test them or go big with them, and make that company legit. You mean tastemakers? Yes. You know, that's funny. We, I don't know that we ever felt necessarily that way about it. Um, but you were. It, the the you magazine, you know, what, what's, you know, and it's funny because it keeps coming back to the magazine, but. When we would go into a new town, a new city completely, and open a four-wheel parts store, people knew who four-wheel parts was because of the magazines. 
we had that, you know, that national presence and that branding. My dad never believed in branding. In fact, um, I don't know whether you just say he didn't believe in it, but we wouldn't spend, you know, tons of money on race cars. The only reason they were, you know, I, I forced them to be on my, on my race trucks out of uh, guilt. But, um, <laughs> you know, we really, we really branded ourselves over the years in those magazines with products and good pricing and, and great service. And, and my dad was a, a bloodhound about um, getting, if we got an order and if it was a back order, it would piss him off. And in fact, that's how we ended up becoming uh, kind of uh, vertically integrated with our own brands and eventually morphing to ProComp because there was certain products that we could not get. There was always a back order from uh, certain manufacturers. And it's a, it's actually a really funny story, kind of a one that uh, sticks around with us uh, old timers from, from uh, the full parts days. But Superlift, we were, had a drop-down bracket for the early Fords, the, the – uh, whatever is like 67 to 75 or whatever is that just a simple drop down bracket to make a you know get you a four inch lift and they couldn't supply it so my dad had it knocked off finally he said screw this let's have it built ourselves he had it built put it in a box i think it was called you know a full parts 1000 at that point because it was a super lift 1000 i was replacing and brett lovett showed up one day in the, the building and, and said, look, we need to sit down and resolve this. And he opened up his briefcase, pulled out a gun, put it on the counter or the conference table and said, we're going to get this resolved right now. And luckily everybody started laughing because, um, Brett and my dad had a really good relationship going back a lot of years. And, um, he wasn't there to shoot anybody. At least, uh, that was the idea or that was <laughs> the belief. And we came away from that with, uh, solving whatever problems were, you know, there and continue to have a great relationship with Brett and Superlift for a lot of years. But, but that's what morphed us into, uh, building our own brands and our own product. So, you know, I know that stepped away from, from the question, but it's a great transition here because that is still happening today. I don't want to say who it was, but we had someone on the show recently that makes a, a phenomenal lift kit that everyone wants that everyone cannot get because they just can't make them fast enough. And it's chicken, you know, it's kind of one of those chicken of the egg things where they they don't have the capital to produce them fast enough because it requires people and they can't get the people to make fast enough so they can't make them, so they can't bring in the revenue, so they can't make them fast enough. It's just the cycle. So you guys said you got to a point where you could make the product, get it to your stores quickly enough, and it worked. Yeah, and get that, and get that customer handled uh, for sure. But, you know, so when you ask about, you know, when, when we were – we could make or break a product. We really looked and said, is this product something that our customers are asking for? And we'd ask a lot of those products came, came to us from uh, stores throughout our country because it'd be in a certain region that they'd say, man, this is the product that, that our customers are asking for in this area. And we'd say, okay, well, look, if it's, if the customers are walking in the door asking for it, we, you know, circle the wagons, try to understand a little bit enough about the product and, and make that kind of decision. And sometimes those brands weren't ready to go from, um, you know, kind of a mom and pop mentality where, you know, capital was an issue where, um, they couldn't build it fast enough. They're, you know, the, the owner is the marketing manager. He's the manufacturing manager. He's the welder. And, um, so sometimes it, it took a brand maturing to that point that it was ready to, 
you know, to take on and, you know, be part of, uh, you know, the Trans-American full parts deal. Because some brands would say, hey, well, we don't want you selling at wholesale. And we said, look, guys, that, that just doesn't work because we have a shared inventory. What's in our warehouse in Compton or in Dallas, Texas or wherever is, you know, shared for the wholesale customer, for a mail order Internet customer or for a retail store. And so it took took time for some of the brands to mature to the level that that made sense. And we never, you know, again, never looked at it like, you know, we're going to make you or break you. It was really about trying to find, you know, good partners. There's certain things that we needed that would help us get a product launched um, in this kind of the big beast that uh, that it was. That's how we looked at it back in the day and always tried to, to develop, you know, good relationships and, and, you know, win-win situations. I'm sure it didn't always feel that way to everybody, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we want to be able to leave that meeting in Compton, give them the right directions to the bar and then go have a, a beer afterwards and, uh, you know, figure out how we could grow the businesses together. Is that how we could tell if you like somebody, if you liked them, it was directions to the bar. And if you didn't, it was directions to the freeway. <laughs> Pretty much, or uh, it, it would just be a podcast versus you know a live meeting. And, uh, <laughs> oh, having oh a man, that's oh. that's okay. We we uh, we're not offended at all. Hey, uh, one of the things that I was pretty impressed about is the first four stores in California were Oakland, Gardena, Oxnard, and Van Nuys. But what I didn't realize is one of your first stores was actually the one in Hawaii, which is incredibly popular, and uh, the the Hawaiian off road scene is really big. Yeah, so that was another one where it was a customer that, of wholesale that um, that owed the company money, couldn't couldn't pay, and you know sometimes these guys, when especially when it's, you know, it could be a cash business and they just don't manage their cash well or manage you know any any business. If you don't manage the financial side of it well, um, it's going to be you know most likely short lived. So that was another store that we kind of um, you know my dad you know basically took the keys over and and. Uh, we, you know, put, put some good people in there and it just rocked. And we were always amazed at the numbers that that store would do. Um, the manager who was, um, who was started as a warehouse guy in that store is, is still there today running that store and, you know, has a, has a really solid crew and does a great job. And uh, a lot of funny stories about when we go to Hawaii and, you know, Lightning used to do some store, some uh, events for us in uh, SoCal, but we we had some big sale events in in Hawaii that they would line up for hours. To never got hey, never got invited to any hey, of those. I'm Lightning. Uh, buy some <laughs> trap parts behind me. Uh, uh. No, but I uh, would have liked to have been invited so, funny, to Hawaii. Funny story about that. Uh, Foro Parts would invite the publishers and the sales team to different places, and so there were a couple Hawaii trips in my tenure. Really? And I was never high enough on the food chain to go. Oh, nice. Now <laughs> so I feel better. Like, oh, man, I'm going to the four-wheel tr- uh, parts trip to Hawaii for a week, and you're just like, oh, you bastard. Can I tell you that, Greg, so this is legit. So what happened was is that I had worked, um, there was a time that four-wheel parts advertised. I was working at the radio station, started in 91 at K-Rock in L.A., and you guys did some advertisement. Then there was a, a 10-year period somewhere in the mid-2000s where – you didn't do any radio advertisement, and there was a deal where I went. Some I built this crazy truck, and and one of the guys who were working for you in the advertising department, we got together and said we'd really need to bring four wheel parts back into the the K Rock fold, and and you did it. And you spent money, and I did all those grand openings and re grand openings. You were redoing all these stores, and I got to tell you that I've done a lot of freaking grand openings from gas stations to you name it, like. 
But doing actually, you can't name it because this is a family show. So no, <laughs> say no. Well, I did those places too. Yeah, yeah, I know you I did. did some adult <laughs> establishments. Yes, uh, it was honestly a treat, like that. I, I, that I got to be in four wheel parts every single time. I had to pinch myself. It sounds lame, but I had to pinch myself because I, I had grown up with four wheel parts being that really rad spot that you hung out at, and now I was being paid to go hang out at four row parts and and call my friends and be on the radio going meet me here like it was it's special for me I, I also got paid to promote four row parts but in a completely different way yeah <laughs> it's true i don't know so thank you yeah no no was, those events were were fun and and you know honestly you know there's there's a lot of great great folks at that put on a four part shirt every day run those stores uh sell install whatever it is you know they've they've got we had a great team and there's still a great team there today um now of course i've got a great team at off-road warehouse which we'll talk about but uh that was the hardest part for me um when when you know i transitioned out was uh you know not you know just just knowing that uh you know not being able to be connected to that team uh the way we were for many years so before we get into the reason that we have you on the show, I mean, of course, all the four-wheel parts history is is great. I, I think we have to, uh, t- I know, and we could go on about uh, your your successful racing career and all the things you've done, but I think uh, people might know you from Undercover Boss. Let's talk about that for a minute. <laughs> yeah, and well, fortunately, my racing career hasn't been too successful, so that, that wouldn't take too long. <laughs> all right, well, uh, let's cover it. No. <laughs> I, we just did. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I'm curious because there might be some of our listeners that don't have a four-wheel parts in their area and that did see you on CBS Undercover Boss. And I know it was a few years back, so you're probably tired of talking about it, but it, that really did bring you, because you were on, I think, either the first or second season when that show was super hot. And yeah. we thought it was going to be inside, because I worked for CBS at the time, and I'm like, that is weak sauce. That is a lame concept. <laughs> and, then and then it blew up. It blew up. What was funny is it's it's like uh, I saw the, uh, whatever the episode's coming out, and it's like, Greg Adler, Transamerica, Four Wheel Parts, whatever, and you're going... Wait, somebody you know is going to be on that TV I know, show, right? So we, it's like, uh, it's weird because you watch it like four times because you're like, hey, I know that guy, and then you do it again, and then your wife walks in, hey, see that guy on TV? Yeah, I know that guy, but it's not like you know TV star guy. It's like everyday guy that you just know from working with and being an industry colleague. You're like, hey, I know that guy. So that was kind of a weird episode. For me yeah, personally. no, you know, yeah. So uh, definitely not a TV star because that. That was my one and only show. I was one and done. No one ever called me back for anything else. So <laughs> it was an awesome experience. It was really um, a, a neat deal at the time, which we didn't really talk about. But my dad sold the business in 2005, and I stayed on and, and ran it, became CEO. And found we had a solid foundation from you know what had been built before, what my dad had built before. It was a good time for him to step away and – you know, and I was in a position to, you know, continue on as CEO and, and you know, have a piece of the business. It was a, a small piece, but no complaints. It was all good. But we had financial uh, partners or owners. And so when this whole thing came up, I said, look, this is a great opportunity. I think w- we want 60 minutes of a four-wheel parts infomercial. CBS wants, you know, 60 minutes of a tearjerker, you know, kind of, you know, thing that's going to get, you know, everybody at home feeling warm and fuzzy. And so 
but I committed. I said, look, I don't, we're not going to have, you know, I don't think this is going to blow up in our face. I don't think we're going to have the employees who, you know, say, Hey, you want to go smoke a bowl in the back uh, on, on break <laughs> or, or, Hey, I hate working for these bastards. They, you know, do this and cut corners. Uh, but I still had, you know, you never know. And they really were uh, prided themselves with that show on keeping it real. And so we didn't know where, I didn't know where I was going to go, what store, what location. How were the employees um, selected? Was that just natural from there's being no, at that store? They how can't did that... be natural because they all, they make sure that they've got a tearjerker in every so, single yeah, so, yeah. This, so But this is, yeah, this is the part of, you know, the cool way they do it, actually. So the, all we told them is I'm more often in the stores on the West Coast. And that was one of the things I really liked doing is visiting the store, even if it was for five minutes or for five hours. I all I'd always learn something new, figure out a way that we could be a little bit better as a company or whatever. So I stopped in a lot of stores and I told them, look, it's going to be hard to hide short, stocky and handsome. (laughs) (laughs) So I said, look, go for the further east we go, the less likely that I'll be seen or I'll be known, whatever. Then they go out and they they canvassed like 20 plus locations, warehouses, stores, etc., and we told the employees that there was, you know, some fake thing about, you know, they're, they're doing, a, they're filming. It's some uh, entrepreneur has a chance to get money to fund a new business. And all the employees were said, were told, if you want to meet with these guys and, and uh, talk to them, you know, they want to interview all the employees, but you don't have to. It's your choice if you want to meet with them. And if you do, great. If you don't, no problem. And we told our managers, when these guys come in, let them use your office. And again, let, you know, give them, if your employees want to meet with them, great. The, you know, the folks that do the show, they picked the locations, they talked and met with the employees. And I guess from, you know, the questions they asked, they figure out, okay, who's got kind of a story, whether it's, you know, a hard luck story or a tough upbringing or going through a tough time. I mean, that, that's what ultimately plays on, plays well on the show. And, uh, so we really had no say in that at all. It was just kind of, here's the locations, you know, on the East Coast that we think make sense and go for it. So, so, so basically the producers knew, but you were put in situations where you didn't actually know. Oh, no, 100%. Yeah, I mean, I didn't know where we were going until the next day. And, you know, I didn't know what the situation was with the specific employee um, until, you know, we got into it. And they, they kind of help you along saying, look, you know, first you do the job that they, they do and – um, you know, I, I learned to mount and balance tires and wheels at our Burbank store when I was a high school uh, punk. So, you know, when I came to mountain and balancing tires and wheels, I was a little better than I should have. And I was driving the forklift too good in the warehouse because you didn't flip it over. You know, <laughs> I didn't flip it over because once I knew how much they cost, yeah. I'd start driving them. Or knock all the pallet racks driving. down like dominoes and uh, have it posted on OSHA, is this okay, on, uh, on social? <laughs> yeah, I did I did a few jobs too well, but when they had me actually do manual labor, I was sweating like a pig. So. <laughs> now, uh, but no, it was good. Now, this was uh, during a time period when you guys were having tremendous growth. You were opening, you, you had something like 400 store or some amazing number and like a billion dollar a year company. I don't know what the numbers are, but I know that the goals were really lofty and you guys were in a huge expansion mode. Yeah, so I mean, we, we were probably at that point, you know, close to 90 stores, um, warehouses across the country. You know, the brands were humping, doing really well. And yeah, everything was was clicking pretty well. And so that was why, you know, like I said, my financial partners were saying, hey, don't put us in a bad position because eventually we're going to want to 
sell the business. And I said, no, I think this is going to be a great thing for the business. And, and uh, I think, you know, across the company, we've got employees that are, you know, no one's always thrilled and doing backflips to show up to work, but we generally, we tried to keep the business as big as it, as it grown, tried to keep, you know, a small family business feel to it. And um, so I felt like it was going to go well. And, and fortunately it did. So you eventually did sell. And then maybe talk about that because that really leads you into the period of time that we're entering now or led up to where well, we are. He just gave away something that I wasn't aware of. So his father sells the business. Mm -hmm. He stays on as CEO. Right. He now has financial partners. So there's someone that owns it that's not the Adler family. Right. And, and now, no matter, now, now you're kind of tied to these money men. And I don't know anything about these money men. How, how much did well, you you're, know? Well, you're tied to them, but you also are tied to the employees because- you're the legacy part of the business that's there. I understand. I, I, what's that dynamic like? And how did you, because that could have gone poorly where they're like, get out, you know, son of, you know, like they didn't understand it. They could have ejected you, right? Or did you have a clause that, you know, enabled you to stick around no matter what? Yeah, it's like, called a track record of success. No, I, I just don't know. <laughs> well, you know, you'll find out later that that track record only goes so far, but um, no, you know, it, 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 it was just um, a situation where, it typically, and we see it now, when we did it in 2005, private equity wasn't as well known. Now in our space and in the aftermarket companies, there's been a lot of private equity investors that have got, come in. They've, they've got the money. They buy out the owner. And in many times they say, look, we want you to stay on and run the business and, and we'll give you X percent of the business to stay on or we'll buy 70 percent of the business or what whatever it may be. So so that was the situation. My, my dad sold. It was a very good situation for my family. You know, my, you know, my siblings that weren't in the business and, you know, my dad took care of me. I wasn't going to be, um, you know, going hungry on the, on the side of the road, you know, and it was a chance to say, okay, let's, let's figure out how we um, can continue to grow the business, professionalize the business in some manner, but keep it real and, and have fun while we do it. So Fortunately, we had, you know, what ended up through a couple of different cycles, some really good partners and the business performed really well because the team that we had, the executive team that we had, that were uh, guys that were running the brands, uh, guys that were running the stores, guys that were running wholesale on, in our internet business, we had a really solid team. So we were firing our, on all eight cylinders and continuing to grow and everybody was happy and, you know, life was good. So it was a definitely a transition, but my goal was to try to make it seamless to the employees, you know, that they didn't see us go from, uh, you know, a real entrepreneurial owner like my dad, who, you know, we would call him Hurricane George because when he'd go into a store, he'd usually leave some kind of damage behind. He was, <laughs> he was very passionate uh, about the business and he didn't see something he that wasn't uh, going the right way or the way inventory wasn't was just spewed all all over the floor or whatever it may have been outside of the, the boxes were all ripped up. He would, you know, he would go ballistic. So, um, but he, but he, had, know, a, he had a, he had a right to, because he started with nothing. You know, what that reminds you know? me of, I mean, uh, there was a Southern California chain of, uh, stores of, uh, outdoor sports store called sports chalet. It was owned by a, a old German guy named Norbert. And I worked for sports chalet, uh, in high school or right after high school and in our store, it was funny, uh, other stores would call us and say, Norbert's out on the, you know, he's on, on the way. He's out at stores visiting today. 
And the second he would walk foot in our store, and we, our store was a two-story with a big mezzanine, you could look down on the floor below, every department's phone would ring, and they'd go, bird alert, and hang up, bird alert, and hang up. <laughs> and it was that same thing, where here comes the owner, and he's going to kick your ass if you aren't living up to his expectations of what his business that he started should be. And what happens, Greg, when when that element is no longer there? Like you know, yeah. The, the, so, but you know, and you guys start out with that entrepreneurial uh, little uh, chime in or whatever you call that jingle, intro. Jingle, yeah. That's the that that is at the heart of an entrepreneur. And you know, my my dad was never at home. He was a pussy cat. But it was Doctor Heckle, Mister Jai, when he would go into a store, he just couldn't. Uh, you know, he couldn't uh, hold back because of that that passion and knowing. That, you know, back in the day, every, every single dollar, every single stick of inventory was the difference between putting food on the table or not. And so um, that's that's hardcore at, at, uh, at an entrepreneurial level that um, is, isn't always repeatable. But the successful ones, I think, have that passion and the fire and they're able to, you know, they're they're able to make sure they display that in a certain way. Like my dad would, you know, he could come unglued, but then he'd also go to the manager and say, hey, look, you're the guy that I have in charge to run this store the way we expect, to take care of the inventory the way we expect. I don't care if this thing says four parts on the side. It's, you know, if your name is Greg, then call, it's Greg's off-road when I leave here. Treat it like your own, you know, and, and do the right thing. And so, he, you know, he was able to inspire at the same time as, uh, you know, and motivate the, the folks. And, and so, you know, those are some traits I think that, you know, you find in an entrepreneurial business uh, like Sports Chalet when it was growing up, I'm sure. And as you grow and as you get professionalized or financial owners and, and other things, it, it, it's tougher to keep that for sure. So at what point, Greg, do these financial partners, these equity stakeholders uh, that you're working for and with, at what point do they decide that it's now sellable, that they're going to sell to Polaris? Or was Polaris the first uh, name on the list? They saw that undercover boss show and they said, holy We got to have that guy, but the only way to have him is to own him. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, was, it wasn't too long after that, honestly. Um, and, uh, you know, but... But it was just the, the timing was right for those for those that group of ownership um, that they said, hey, look, this is you know, we think it's the right time to to do something. And so the business goes through a, a sale process and, you know, along comes Polaris and they had been calling for a couple of years. Honestly, I, was, I always thought, wow, that's weird. It's not you know, I don't see where that fit is, but, you know, we'll call you guys when that ever happens. And, and sure enough. You know, as we got ready and got into the sale process, you know, Polaris was one of the companies that was interested in buying, you know, Transamerican. Is that for the wholesale side of it, or were they interested because no, they had they, they had all the you know, obviously Polaris famously yeah, makes side by sides, right? Yeah. So the, the, we all, as consumers and and outsiders, saw, well, great, this is a way to sell all the parts for yeah, you, more you, vertically. Yeah, exactly. You own the original uh, equipment side of it, and you own the aftermarket for it. All within one vertically Sounds, yeah, integrated yeah. company. Yeah, so I, I think they're, you know, originally, you know, Polaris lit the world on fire for UTVs, right? With the, oh, yeah. you know, the, the 900, then the 1000 came out and everyone's like, man, this is like a, a trophy truck you can pick up at the dealership and, and go blast through the desert. And if you tear it up, you take it back and it's under warranty or what, what have you. And so they, they, they built a market 
and they saw how much accessorization was going on of those UTVs that they weren't getting a piece of. And they had bought some smaller companies like Pro Armor and a few others to try to to tap into that, so to speak. But they, I think they looked at Transamerican four-wheel parts and all their brands because um, they bought the whole thing as an opportunity to try to enhance that. They were also on a, a strategic path of just growth. So if they could acquire a business of substantial size that could, you know, they could bolt it on and it, it makes sense because, you know, the stuff we were selling, all the products are, you know, outdoor, off-road, everything else that matched up with and aligned with, you know, what Polaris was doing with UTVs, snowmobiles, and, and you know, many of their other companies. So, you know, I think that was their thesis for, you know, coming in and, and you know, paying a whole lot of money for Transamerican. Was that difficult for you to, well, how, well, how do yeah, you, I guess, how did it affect you? I mean, I, I don't know if we know the story. So they come in, they decide to purchase it. The, the financial group who owns it says, yeah, let's do it. Where were you in that process? Were you part of the team with, helping with the transition? Uh, or were you going, oh, crap, what am I going to do now? Other than going no, vacation no, for two years. No, so uh, <laughs> so I, I was part of the team um, and, you know, kind of at the top as the CEO and had been CEO since 2005. So 10 or 12 year run. So it wasn't like, you know, too wet behind the ears. So, you know, I really felt that, you know, Polaris as a public company was was going to be a different kind of owner than the private equity owners, which, you know, typically own a business for, you know, five to seven years and turn and burn it. And it would be a long-term platform that uh, would be good for the business, good for all the employees. And so, you know, and at the end of the day, although I had, you know, I had input obviously in the, who was going to be the potential buyer, you know, I owned a small piece of a very big company. And, um, you know, so it wasn't my decision one way or the other, but I really felt that, you know, this would be a good situation for, Transamerican and, and all the employees, all my, you know, my team, my, my executive team and such. And how was that emotionally for you to finally like let go of it? Well, I mean, again, I, you know, one of the things is I always had a boss uh, until now with Offroad Warehouse um, where I'm truly the head mother <laughs> charge. Uh, <laughs> you know, I worked for my dad and, and I learned a tremendous amount from my dad. We're, we're still best friends uh, in fact, he stopped by our off-road warehouse store in Las Vegas today uh, to check it out, and uh, I'm surprised he didn't call me and kick my ass and give me a list of 20 things we need to fix. <laughs> but uh, uh, so I learned a lot, and I worked for my dad. Then I worked under these different financial owners. So I had a board of directors I I, I uh, reported to. You know, I it wasn't free reign for Greg Adler to do whatever the hell he wanted. I had financial partners that owned the company essentially, and. And myself and the management team had a had a small piece and were very incentivized to to be successful and make it grow. So when when it went to Polaris, it was like, okay, just a new group of owners and these guys are it's a public company, so we're gonna have to do certain things that are required to be um, owned by the public and not owned by let's say private financial institutions. But hey, I've got bosses up the chain. I've had bosses all my life. It's no you know, no big change, no big, you know, really not a big deal. And, and, uh, you know, so we got off to, you know, uh, what I think was a really good start and the honeymoon period was wonderful, but it didn't last very long. You know how I knew that, uh, you weren't the, uh, HM, uh, F 
I see uh, at Voro Parts is when I'd go into a store, I would just uh, tap my hand on the counter and I'd wink and go, I know Greg. And it didn't work for me. <laughs> no. So I'm really excited about Off-Road Warehouse because uh, I'm going to be in there and be like, yeah, well, we got a lot. Of, we got a lot to talk about. I know we're going to hog up all of his time, but I, that's the last piece of the we're story. We're already with doing that. Parts. I know the last piece of the puzzle is that honeymoon was. Ha, ha, can you talk about that? Was it? Yeah, part, parting I, is I which, can. Okay. Yeah, they drank yeah. out of glasses that had uh, uh, umbrellas in them. There was a soft uh, Caribbean <laughs> breeze. It was. It was really nice. I have a feeling that's not the case. No, there weren't longing no. uh, stairs of longingness or anything like no, that. No, you know, it, it turns out Minneapolis is pretty cold in the wintertime. Yeah, and. Uh, so now you know what it, it, we we got off to a good start. There were a lot of things that were pr- pressure on the business to do certain things, uh, like gain these synergies that we had we didn't anticipate we had to do. So we really had to pivot to try to do certain things for uh, for Polaris. And you know, as a big company, they have requirements, and we just got uh, you know got to the point where it just wasn't it wasn't fun uh, by any means, which is not supposed to be always fun, but it just wasn't. You know, the the relationship kind of quickly got to, you know, a little contentious. And, you know, we were working as hard as we ever had to try to drive the business, grow the business, provide the synergies and things that Polaris wanted and, 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 it, and had, you know, committed to the public and their board of directors that when they bought this company, they were going to get all these these benefits. So, you know, we were working our asses off. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it just became a point where um, I don't think, you know, either one of us were thrilled. And so I just said, okay, well, let's, let's figure out a, um, a plan to keep the company moving forward in the right direction. And, and, um, you know, ultimately that's, that's the direction we went. And I, I transitioned to kind of an executive chairman role, uh, but that didn't last too long. They started making decisions that I just didn't agree with and couldn't have my name associated with the, the business any longer. And, it was gut wrenching, um, to be honest, because you know, as you guys heard the history, 1961 with my grandfather starting the thing to, you know, all these years, and um, you know, the toughest part for me when I made that final decision to completely step away is that you know they were they were making decisions that they felt they had to, and um, no input from me with although I was still titled and getting paid to be there, and when they started cutting my team members that were really really good people that were some of the best in the industry uh, without having at least given me a courtesy discussion uh, and input. Uh, I was just at that point, I just said, look, it, you know, it's got, I've got to go and can't be tied into this any longer. Not not to dwell on, on the, uh, the bad memories of, of that experience, but I think there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there, people who dream to get to that level of success with their business that they've started. And and sometimes they're at a crossroads where it's like, do I keep it or do I sell? Or do I become a, a partner in this and let somebody else drive it? And, and that way I can become successful while this business is being handled by somebody else. I can go do other things. What was that last day? Your keys are turned in, the the, the keys to the, uh, the the corporate restroom with the gold encrusted uh, uh, toilet handles. Yeah. Uh, and the corporate car and you're walking away and you know that this is your family's legacy and you know that the chapter has come to an end. What, what, I mean, obviously it wasn't easy, but is there any tips from your experience that you can share with other guys who might be in the same situation where they're an entrepreneur who are maybe facing that, that same situation coming up or preparing for it? Yeah. You know what? Uh, sorry if I got a little uh, tear jerky there. I'm probably 
pull out the Kleenex on you guys. But um, <laughs> no, you know, at the end of the day, um, I would say that, uh, you know, again, it, I've seen it happen in the industry quite a bit. And I'm, I've got a lot of good friends that have sold their businesses and, and have done extremely well. If you, when you give up that control, um, and really, you know, my dad did in 2005, but when you do that, then, you know, you got to understand that you're no longer the guy that ultimately you're no longer the head in charge or the head entrepreneur in charge. You know, the, the guys that are put, putting the money out, there's a lot of great partners to be had. Don't, you know, so I don't want to steer this as a negative situation. There's, there's some fantastic companies. So get to know if you're, if you're going down that road, really try to engage and get to know the right people in that, in that, uh, that you're going to partner up with. And if you sell a majority, then you have to understand that ultimately um, they've got the keys and they'll, they'll make the decisions. And if everything's going well and going to plan and you're growing the business and doing what everything's just as listed, then, you know, things are typically great. But when it gets tough, you got to know that you've got a partner, a very good relationship with your partner that they're going to, that, you know, they're going to, be there to support you and not, uh, you know, have you walk the plank, so to speak. So I would imagine that on your way out, uh, as most executive contracts and things like that come to a close, you probably had a non-compete clause for a while. So what was that, that transition time? Because obviously you sort of got back into the same type of business. And there's obviously a period of, I guess you probably have, you know, a period of mourning and then a period of reflection and a period of acceptance. And you go through, you know, all the different steps until you decide, all right, I'm ready to, to re-enter this and go kick ass again. Here I go. What was that like? And how did you make the ultimate decision that you wanted to get back into the ring? Yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, you summed it up pretty well. And I mean, I knew, you know, again, coming up to this stage and, then seeing, you know, really what was the toughest part for me was seeing, you know, a lot of great folks that had been, that had helped build Transamerican and Full Parts and our wholesale and our brands and all these parts of the business, you know, basically being given their walking papers. And uh, so I knew there were great people out there. Um, and, you know, I knew that I wanted to stay connected to them and help them be, you know, find success in whatever they were going to do. And so, as you know, I looked at the opportunities through, you know, during my time of, uh, of my non-compete, um, you know, I looked at what was out there and looked at, you know, finding ways to keep, you know, guys and con being connected with, uh, all these guys in the business, in the industry that I've, I've known, you know, essentially my whole professional career and obviously enjoy as a, as an enthusiast, as a racer and, and as a businessman, you know, when, when the off-road warehouse opportunity came up, you know, I thought, okay, well, this is, you know, first of all, it's a, a business with a solid foundation. It's been in business since 1973, very authentic. They sell to, you know, they sell a ton of race products to, you know, hardcore racers heading down to Baja, uh, racing in the desert or so playing. Off-Road Warehouse, just so everybody knows, was a, a, basically a San Diego off-road uh, purveyor, and this I guess, is a, parts. A, a retail brick-and-mortar yeah, store. Right. And so for those of us who are in SoCal, you kind of, if you were in Southern Southern California, like San Diego, it was either off-road warehouse or four-wheel parts. As you kind of got a little bit more Northern into maybe Orange County, Riverside, you probably knew of off-road warehouse. Four-wheel parts didn't have something. You'd always check with ORW. But it was very regional, but 
a very uh, respected and well-known brand and and guys that always seem to have kind of the the hard to find stuff that you needed right then and there. Well, what Greg, I'm curious, what when you were at Four Wheel Parts, what was your opinion of ORW back in those days? Um, you know what? I I respected them as a competitor. Um, they were a very good regional player and there's not very many of them. Um, it's not easy to have more than one off-road store. Typically that owner, entrepreneur, you know, is the guy that, that makes it happen. He's the guy that helps bring the customers in the door. He's the guy that helps sells the parts, installs the parts, whatever it takes to, to win, you know, and those, that, that's not easy to replicate in a second store, a third store, a fourth store. So anytime we, we, we had a regional competitor like ORW in San Diego, you know, we said, man, they're, you know, we got to respect them and, and figure out, uh, what we can do to, to beat them where we can, or, or, you know, we always tried to play nice, but we tried to win. And so, you know, I knew, obviously knew the brand, um, felt there'd be some opportunity to, uh, you know, that if I got involved and got some of my, my team involved as well with the great team that they had, um, you know, we could do some good things together. And how did you know that it was even available for, for, for purchase. Yeah, how does that how does that message is it something where it's like a pocket listing and you're just part of a network of people looking to invest in businesses or is it something where somebody you knew reached out and said, "Hey, I'm I'm out. You want it?" No, I he's on a golf course and someone said, "Here, uh, let's have a beer over here." If you can hit a hole in one, I'll give you my uh, multi-million dollar business. <laughs> how did it go down? Seriously, Greg. Dude, this this is for another podcast, guys. I can't tell you how I blackmailed him to get that <laughs> hey the good thing is we can edit and bleep out so go <laughs> blackmail away no no you know what i i knew uh gentleman named randy weiser was the the uh, majority owner and i met him through off-road business association orba which i'll give a quick plug is a nonprofit that i uh, i've been chairman of uh for many years which is just tries to keep land use open fought for johnson valley to keep that open for years and more more area truck haven glamis pismos the fight moab every everywhere but i had met randy and so i knew him and and um you know i knew that the businesses had been a little seemed like it was a little bit stale so um i put one of my other guys in in touch with him who was who was also unemployed after uh you know the tap thing and he got the ball rolling with with randy and and uh you know i said look i think it's a good opportunity i think we could have some fun and keep it, you know, we don't have to grow it into this, this monster. Um, but if, you know, we can do some good things, stay connected to all our, our other buddies out there and make a few bucks, then, you know, why not? And now so it, it started with a connection and a phone call. And how many stores were, you know, basically were you, uh, taking on at that point? There were four, there's four stores, uh, three in San Diego, which is, there was one in, um, Kearney Mesa, Escondido, El Cajon, and one up in uh, Temecula was the furthest north that they had gone. And now you're getting ready to uh, open up, uh, I believe. Las Vegas. Well, yeah, Las Vegas, Vegas, but I was thinking yeah. about it's uh, Saturday, am I right, the 27th? That's right. So we're our grand opening for Las Vegas, which will be our fifth store, is Saturday, February 27th. It's... Uh, a really beautiful store. The guys, the, the team have done an incredible job getting it dialed in. And, uh, you know, we definitely want it to stand out for, um, you know, the truck Jeep UTV guy, but also the racer. You know, we've got a lot of race parts in stock in Vegas that normally those guys can't get. But, you know, building trucks and Jeeps is, you know, really the the bread and butter. And, and it's something that we're uh, really good at. And we've got a 
you know, great experienced crew there. So excited to, to get that one going. And then I've been driving down the 91 recently and the last <laughs> 10 trips, there it is right on the side of the freeway. Oh man. And, uh, I've been waiting for uh, for this one to, <laughs> yeah. to open up there. What are you talking about? Yeah, Which one? I, I am. I'm gonna need a. I'm gonna need another drink for this one. Uh, <laughs> oh. The uh, yeah. So Corona uh, has been just kicking our ass. Honestly, the uh, the city's been tough, but I'm now talking to the right guys. We, we're getting that showroom built out, and we think we're gonna have the doors open early March and a grand opening for that one by the you know middle to late march so right behind vegas that corona store will be open awesome now it, it, greg if you're if you're not familiar with off-road warehouse and our listeners go into one what are they expecting are they expecting a mom and pop feel or the now you know corporate 4wp style or is it yeah was it yeah it was i guess here's the other thing along that line of questioning is the business model going to be the same? Are you going to have in-house brands? Are you purely going to be partnering with other well-known brands, a little bit of both? What's the strategy for ORW and how different is it from Four Wheel Parts? Yeah, no, good good, uh, good questions, guys. And, um, you know, really, uh, so the consumer walking in, you know, we hope we'll see, you know, state-of-the-art showroom, you know, kind of the latest and greatest products, you know, ORW has played at the higher echelon of premium products for years. In fact, you know, it's one of the reasons why Bilstein is so successful now. They started with ORW, but we have Bilstein, Fox, King. Uh, Icon is a great partner on the suspension side. We've got, you know, Method and all the top lines of wheels, BFG, Toyo, and all the top lines of tires. You know, we really want to try to create a, a, a showroom where the customer can come in, touch and feel the parts, talk to an expert. We've got some, just some studs working behind the counter that know this stuff that have been in the industry for a long time, worked at another place that we've talked about quite a bit tonight. And, uh, I, we've just been fortunate that, um, you know, they believe in what we're trying to create over here. And, and, uh, it's been a, a good opportunity for us to be able to, to have some of those folks want to come over and, and take the ride, uh, with the off-road warehouse. So that's that experience coming in. And, you know, for that consumer, um, you know, long term, you know, having brands is something that, you know, we might look at in the future. But our focus right now is to open these retail stores in, in markets that we think can be uh, successful, you know, that we've seen success in the past. And, um, you know, competition is a good thing. And so, you know, at the end of the day, for consumers to have a couple of choices in a market that uh, where they can go figure out what products they want and talk to an expert about how to outfit and build their their truck or or Jeep or go overlanding what UTV whatever it is, uh, you know I think it's going to be a great thing for for everybody. Now, can I ask a uh, a dumb question as I'm uh, as I often do here? The, never. You mean the, the, never. The, another dumb question? <laughs> no, 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 no. Right. I, you're too hard on yourself. You're too, much. It's, it's uh, the occasional dumb question. You, you've got a great website, so offroadwarehouse.com, and you can buy everything through the through the website. Why not go purely into the digital age? You know, because you are a forward thinker. You you why stay? With retail, brick and mortar, is it something about that connection to the customer that you have by installing the shocks on the Jeep? You've got all the partners to have it's because he an needed, amazing website. He needed extra revenue to pay for his Truck Show podcast sponsorship, and that's going to come from <laughs> brick and mortar. Ah, yeah. Do well, you guys – well wait, 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 wait. I'm, I'm, now I'm – 
confused. I may not even be on the right podcast. <laughs> Do you guys really think this internet thing is going to stick around? No. Yeah, and neither will fad. Jeeps. And overlanding, overrated. Yeah. It'll never happen. It's yeah, a fad. It's a yeah, fad, it's a right? Fad. Exactly. Um, <laughs> no, you know what? Uh, for what I believe is that there's a there's a ton of customers and consumers. They're not just you know buying one part to bolt it on. If they are, the web's a good place to go. But when you're trying to build the vehicle, personalize it the way you want, the look that you want, there's so many options. Yeah. So to be able to come in and talk to an expert and, and really get a sense and feel for the parts is critical. To be able to get those parts installed professionally is the other piece of the pie that um, – or the piece of the puzzle that's that's critical. Was there ever a time – and at your previous employer, they have a, a, a huge website. They do a ton of online business. And now obviously with Off-Road Warehouse, you're doing a ton of online, online business. Was there ever a time when you thought, uh-oh – retail uh as far as brick and mortar could get shaken to the ground because online is becoming so massive yeah so no there were there were um there were pieces of that that concerned me with pricing um and and fortunately you know a lot of manufacturers and vendors have have you know amazon's kind of picked up their pants a little bit and you know not not giving everything away and manufacturers have stepped up and said i've got a brand that i want to, you know, to make sure that my parts are being sold at a, at a reasonable price and not just, you know, nickel and dimed all the way down to where nobody's making money, which happened in the speed business years ago with the Edelbrocks and MSDs and everything else. Um, so because of, you know, so that, that concerned me more. Uh, but really, uh, for from my viewpoint, you know, the installation part of it, the service side of it is, is critical. There's a lot of do-it-for-me customers that want it done right. And these vehicles are complex and, and, you know, you can't just, uh, you know, maybe a, a JK, um, you can slap on a few coils and, and maybe some arms and, and tires and wheels and send it down the road and go find someone to, to align it. But there's a lot of complex vehicles. And, and so getting the installation done and, and making sense of that, if we were just selling parts over the counter and I was opening up all these stores, then you should put me on like the entrepreneur podcast for, you know, Failed how, to, businesses. how to lose money yeah. and be unsuccessful. <laughs> well, and I think you make a great point because I think you're banking on the personal relationship. And I think what's different about, say, and I've talked about this on the show before, what I think is different about the off-road market in comparison to, say, the speed parts market is that there's community around off-road. Not that there isn't in other places, but my point being that it's different with off-roaders. And the reason I say that is when you're on the trail and you break – the next guy that comes around the corner could be the guy that saves your life. And so there's there's already a, an inherent community of people that are looking out for each other and an inherent community of people that want to have a relationship and an a inherent uh, community. It's it's not competitive in the same sp- sense as the speed parts. It's You can build all these different build recipes and all of them are equally – it's like barbecue. There's no wrong answers. I mean, there are, of course, but you can build it any way you want and your friends and other people will still ex- accept it for who you are I think that personal relationship that comes through on the counter and having somebody you can rely on to be again in, in your in in a sense your vehicle mentor is is huge. I think though also with with, with by the op- way uh, vehicle mentor opening up uh, at at Coachella. Oh yeah, oh, they are really. Yeah, did yeah. they did announce the date? Not yet. Not okay, yet. They just, but they will be gotcha. opening. Yeah. Is it the Sahara stage? Like, is it a dance act, or is it the outdoor stage with like old school like folk rock? Stay tuned. Okay, got it. So. 
I, I think that what he said about the alignment was what I, I was going to suggest that same thing. Like, if you put on your own shocks, your own, you know, your your coilovers or whatever you're doing, like, you're going to need an alignment. And so you're either doing half I of it. saw your dually. And I saw how crooked your steering wheel was and what you went through to align it, so yes. not totally true. Uh, well, <laughs> I ended up at the, uh, right off the 405, the 40 parts location, several times. Help. Because they were the only guys with a lift, with a, with a with a rack wide enough to get my dually on right. so they can do an alignment. And then uh, your truck would pull up and they'd go, why? No, they actually kind of dug it. <laughs> okay. But, uh, no, but I, I, it, the whole, I know we always do the air quotes and we go, one-stop shop. But there's a lot to be said for an, a shop that can actually be but a one-stop location. But it's not just location. one stop. It's the expertise that lives within that well, one but, stop. That's yeah, the difference. Sure but they're doing, they put the shocks on, but then they align it. So you don't drive down the street with your steering wheel, you know, at two o'clock. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, it, it is all those things. It really is, um, you know, just trying to make it right. And there's guys that'll try to shortcut or do, do it themselves and, and uh, you know, I'm not one of those guys. I'm not handy enough. They don't even let me put the stickers on my race truck. Um, but you know, obviously there's lots of guys that are, can build their own trucks right in their, in their driveway and their garage and, and make it work. What, you know, is there, there's also lots that can't do that and won't do that. And so being able to go to an expert, get the, the vehicle kind of dialed in based on what their budget is and what they want. Do they want a mud terrain tire? That's going to, look bitching and sound bitching going down the road um, and really off-road the thing, or do they want something smooth and quiet? And what, what's that look they're looking for? There's just so many options from, you know, A to Z. So, um, you know, and then being able to not only install it, but man, if there is an issue um, and you were the one that did it in your driveway, it's really hard to pinpoint, you know, is it a problem with the suspension? Is it a, a bad wheel balance? Is it, you know, it's not aligned right. You know, you're just shooting in the dark. So, um, you know, again, that's where I think, uh, for us at off-road warehouse being the complete package with the installation with great techs in the back, you know, it's, it's the difference maker that allows us to go and open stores in these markets and, and, uh, grow the business and have some fun, hopefully make a few bucks as we go. And so you talked about making a few bucks and opening some stores and obviously Las Vegas, a hotbed for, you know, motorsports and, uh, off-road enthusiasts. I mean, that's really your for, first major foray. I would imagine you have aspirations beyond Vegas and are probably looking at other markets. Do you have a goal of how many brick and mortars or retail locations you want to open? Or if it makes sense, you'll do it. Like, what's the plan for ORW? Do you eventually want to go na- nationwide with it? Yeah, I mean, I you know, it's 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 really going to be kind of grow it at, at the right pace, you know, um, what what we built over the years at, at Fool Parts and Transamerican was built over 50 plus years. So um, we're, we're not trying to get there uh, overnight. We do have a store that we'll be opening up in the Phoenix uh, market in uh, the summertime, which is a perfect time to open in Phoenix. Um, <laughs> but that's just the way the real estate uh, falls sometimes. And, and then we have one that we'll be opening up in the uh, Atlanta, Georgia area. Oh, and wow. again, it, just kind of um, not necessarily strategic that we want to cross over uh, and just be able to, uh, you know, flex our muscles and say, hey, we're nationwide. But it's just kind of how some of the real estate falls, you know, and then we'll, we'll fill in. And, you know, I think our, our goal is that we can manage to open, you know, three to four to five stores a year um, and just get on a, on a good pace of doing that. And, you know, if we've got the right pieces of the, of the puzzle in place, then you know, we should be able to do it and, and execute on it well. And, 
and be successful. But there's always the opportunity. I, I bought the business in November of 19. And, you know, we had that small thing called COVID hit in March of uh, 20. And I thought, oh, WTF. Yeah. You know, right. What am I doing? Um, so while I couldn't be on a private island in the Bahamas, uh, I could be, you know, at uh, Sandals or some effing place, <laughs> you know, re- relaxing with my wife, having a good time of and course. a few cocktails. But uh, uh, I- anyway, we've ridden through that storm. The whole industry has and, and uh, come out on a, on a good note. So, uh, so, um, so you, you mentioned um, three to five a year. I mean, that sounds really ambitious, but, and, but also sounds like a fun challenge. And you mentioned a word several times, real estate. This sounds... Yeah, is this McDonald's all, to me? Yeah, right. I, exactly. McDonald's and their real estate play when they were growing that business. Is there some inspiration there? You know what? It, it's it's uh, it's that's a good point. What well, we we you know I wrestle and I've got a, with a, a few of my friends that are uh, that that do real estate stuff too. Right now at ORW, our our goal is to invest in the in opening a store. It costs close to a million bucks to open a store. By the time you kick open the the door um wow by you know typically with build out of a store yeah cha-ching is right <laughs> you know uh, you got to build the thing out with damn yeah. construction these days uh, i love those construction workers come visit us at opera warehouse <laughs> uh, but uh, and, and it's, also it's, place your bid <laughs> yeah <laughs> so uh you know that that build out the equipment the inventory everything by the time you open the thing up it's it's could be a million bucks or more so so I'm in, you know, I'd rather spend my uh, my inheritance there and try to open up more stores than necessarily buying the property. But I know at the same time, at the end of the day, there's a lot of situations where, you know, owning that property makes a lot of sense and, you know, is is a moneymaker at the end of the day. So that's something that I'm wrestling with uh, kind of as we go. And sometimes, honestly, it's in the market. You know, we can go look in a certain market we want to be in. And, you know, look for a, a leased building, but there's a perfect building that we could, you know, we really like it. It's only for sale. And then you're, you know, kind of got to make that decision that says, hey, I think this is going to be a great long-term store. And so I'm, you know, willing to, to, you know, invest the dollars there or, you know, get, you know, put the mortgage out or get a partner or whatever it takes to, to buy the building. So, so that real estate play and again, you know, uh, Jay and I each have about a uh, hundred, hundred fifty bucks. We uh, sure we more than happy to be micro investors in your next store. You know what? You guys are very close to what the target we're looking for. Uh, so a washed up podcast hosts, dude. Well, well, you know, nowadays you can get so much going on social media. Like, uh, you know, we can go fund me and do some other stuff. And you okay, know, no time. We'll have twelve stores. Can you hire us to uh, open uh, the Corona store for you? If you know that's a lot of silence, by the way, twist some (laughs) arms, man. I'm I'm all all ears because what I've been doing to try to get the store open ain't working. But uh, uh, we'll certainly figure out a way that we can uh, do some stuff together, hopefully. And and um, like I said, hoping to have a a fun ride while we do it. And it is fun when we go into these new markets, get these stores open, have a good grand opening party, and uh, hopefully it's it's a good thing for you know the the industry as a, as a whole. And, you know, the, we've got a lot of friends still at the competitor place. And so, you know, we, we look to do business in a, in a way that grows the market for everybody. Well, you know, it'd be cool if you did like the yard house, like we've been, I don't know, maybe 
We, we grew up in Southern California. There was yard houses all over the place, right? They've got 200 Lots beer, of beer. beers on tap. Yeah, exactly. And they're all over the country now because they've been sold. But in the in the very beginning, the guy named Steele, I can't remember if it was his first or last name, whatever, uh, a couple of guys down in Long Beach, California, and they opened the first one, and they opened it up to all their friends, and it was a twenty dollars or $25,000 buy-in. And then as the company grew, you got first right of refusal to invest in every uh, subsequent location. And originally, everyone just thought they were going to lose the money, right? But it grew and grew, and they all made money, and they invested, and when they finally sold, that would be a really rad way to go in, you know, with ORW, open up to, like, micro-investing. Well, you know, my dad said always, you know, always listen, never hurts to listen, so... No, you know what, that, you know, that's, that's not a, a bad idea, but I think not so our what strong you're point, suggesting by the way. is that every off-road warehouse should have 100 beers on tap. I is like that, that too. I yeah. Yeah. 100 kegerators. Sure. Ready to go. <laughs> that, that, that works. Hey, Greg, off the business side, uh, on the consumer side, what trends are you seeing that we should be on the lookout for? I mean, with, with off-road warehouse, again- uh, Less Overland, less Jeeps, less- Four by fours and less off road. No, but you're on you're on the front line. Um, is there anything that we, we should be on the lookout for, or what are you seeing in the marketplace that maybe is surprising you? Uh, you know what? Good good question. I mean, obviously, uh, Overland's getting continuing to grow, and um, you guys see run around Southern California. I see so many damn tents uh, on these guys. You know, Toyota Forerunners and Jeeps and. You know, I don't know how many guys actually break them out, but hopefully they will. This one does. It, just so we're clear, this one does. It, All right. <laughs> yeah, and that's great because it, it is super cool. And we I was out at King of the Hammers for uh, you know all last week, and there was a ton of of uh, those guys out there having fun and, and camping it out. But um, you know, I do see the suspension side is you know at least Southern California trend of you know continuing to be performance suspension over lift kit. It's probably not a new trend to you guys either, but, uh, you know, it's just certainly what we're doing at Off-Road Warehouse is a ton more of the upper control arm kits from Icon, Total Chaos, Dirt King, Elements, new brand, uh, buddy of mine, Rich Botello started and it's going to do extremely well. And so that style of, hey, I want a bigger tire, but I want performance um, and I'm not looking to, you know, get six inches of lift here. I need two or three inches and I want the thing to you know, I want to go be able to beat it up in the desert a little bit and, and have the thing work and give me the, you know, the King coilovers or Fox coilovers or Icon coilovers. Give me the top, top of the line. These guys spend a lot of money to, you know, to, to outfit these trucks to really go perform. goes back to the old so, adage. It's not about how many inches. It's how it works. Mm. I've been That's using that a long said. time. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Greg, let me get it in there so we can all hear it. That's what she said. There you go. So, Greg, you uh, <laughs> you kept mentioning we. Are you the sole owner? Do you have investors? Is it is it your baby? Are you? What's the situation like in terms of? I know you're the the head in charge, but what does that mean for the business? <laughs> yeah. So I'm. I am the. In other words, are majority... you filthy freaking rich? <laughs> <laughs> Not at ORW because uh, we still got to figure that 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 thing out. But uh, no, I, I'm the majority owner. I uh, Randy, who I bought the business from, um, he has a small percentage, which he wanted to stay involved, which is great. Um, and then a couple guys that are you know my key guys, uh, my CFO and and my vice president uh, that are guys that came from uh, Trans American Full Parts. The you know that's kind of the three of us that are uh, day to day kind of trying to manage the business. Um, so those guys have some, uh, some, uh, ownership as well. You know, what I, I really hope to create a situation where 
um, you know, there can be a lot of ownership spread throughout the team uh, because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, like I said, I'm, you know, my dad took care of me. I'm not going to, you know, unless I do some really stupid things, I'll, I'll be all right. My kids will be all right. But if I can grow this thing to a situation where, you know, there's a lot of people that are believing in off-road warehouse, putting their blood, sweat and tears and making their life decisions to, to come aboard on this ride. Uh, I hope to be able to create a situation where, you know, everybody can do well in the long term. That leads me to uh, my, my really, I guess, my last question for you. Looking back on Four Wheel Parts, how you grew up in the business, what it was like when investors took over and then the eventual sale of the company. And now you're basically starting over. What I'm curious about is what do you think it's like for the longtime off-road warehouse employees with you coming in? And what do you think they're going through? And what is your do you have that level of respect kind of rapport already because they understand that you we want to get back to running it like a family business the way you were brought up in the industry? Uh, I just think it's such an interesting dynamic that, that you're now on the other side of the coin and there's a bunch of yous that are under you now. I don't want to make it sound like it's always a beautiful day at Off-Road Warehouse and everyone's uh, sipping lattes and you know, with their feet up on the desk, but we've been you know able to, to keep you know 90 plus percent of the, the team our, our head of purchasing, a guy named Wally Palmer, his his father, his stepfather actually started off a warehouse back in 1973. And Wally's a big part of our team today. And so, you know, honestly, I've been there. So I've been in their shoes. And one of the first things we, we did is, is, you know, just said, look, here's, you know, we're coming to help grow this thing. And we have a lot of respect for the team that's there because, you know, like I said, they've competed for a lot of years, they were a scrappy company getting by without as many resources and doing a hell of a job. And so, you know, we've come in and, and hopefully treated those guys with respect and and we've been in their shoes and um, it, it, it hasn't been a situation where, you know, you're either going to start sipping our Kool-Aid or not. We're, we're sipping their Kool-Aid and, uh, you know, learning every day together as, as we go. And so the company's under, you know, it's an exciting time, but there's a lot of strain too, because we haven't opened a store in, you know, a lot of years. I, you know, for years I was a little higher up in the ivory tower. So I wasn't dealing with the city uh, planning department and building department and the, and uh, Sam uh, Cervantes, my VP who ran all the full parts stores for years. He wasn't, you know, dealing with the contractor every day. So, you know, we're all digging in and, and uh, on the ground level. Is it humbling, Greg? Is it humbling? It, it's it is humbling at, at times. It's 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 fun. It's entrepreneurial, you know. Going back to the that little intro, it really is entrepreneurial. That you know we're we're just you know digging in every day and learning, and everybody's doing a lot of different jobs and, and getting it done and having fun. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, we'll crack open a beer. I don't. I may, may sound like an alcoholic after this show, <laughs> the beer talk. But you know, we can at least you know it. It we're not. Um, we're not too far removed from the business and, and uh, it's easier when you have less stores and you really know each and every guy. And, and so uh, it's humbling, but it, at the same time, it's fun. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're enjoying the ride. As a guy who's gone through uh, seven ownership changes in 18 years and have been on, oh, the, <laughs> have been on the, the other side <laughs> of that coin an awful lot and never on the other side of the coin. Um, I can tell you that, you know, it's always nerve-wracking when somebody new comes in, who's the owner, you you have kind of a preconceived notion of who, what might happen or what their credentials are or, or who they are. And 
Uh, I think it's refreshing. I'm sure there's guys but who work for know- you now who are uh, listening to the show and who are going, you know what? I like that guy. He's listening to me. I think that's an important thing to say, listen, I don't know everything about the business. I'm coming with ideas. I, I want to keep your legacy. But at the same time, we got to you know modernize, update, and pivot. The authentic uh, the thing that keeps ORW authentic from the race side and all that stuff is stuff that I'm learning. Even though I've been a customer and spent a lot of a lot of money over the years, we're we're figuring out how to do you know learn that side of the business from from those guys. So yeah, no, I have a lot of respect for the team and um, you know trying to make sure we're doing right by uh, right by them. Okay, two and final. Hope, you may be the only guy. I mean, is who else is still there at? Uh, at Motor Trend, I mean, it's got to be a small band of brothers. Uh, yeah, those of us who are still here with over, let's say, 15 years uh, on the aftermarket side that you'll know and remember, uh, Ken Brubaker is still the editor of Four Wheeler. Uh, Christian Hazel still with me. Vern Simons is still with me. Um, that's probably it from the old Peterson days, from that you know that old guard. Everybody else is gone. I, I think the, the hardest part f- from being here for so long is reinventing myself all the time, like with this podcast or in other things to stay relevant. But the other time is trying to carry the torch and the legacy. And uh, the hardest part, I would say, it's not having your friends who have air cover for you. And now I'm the guy that provides air cover for my guys. And it can definitely leave you uh, out there and exposed when you go through ownership changes like that. And, And really, you know, every day, coming to work and wanting to make sure that my guys have everything they need and taking care of them. That's the biggest challenge is I don't have people like Steve on Segrin, who's now at Bill Stein and, um, you know, friends like that and the, who used to be above me, who always had my back. And I knew that, you know, no matter what we did in the trenches, we were going to handle our business in house and we we're going to get things done and they had your back. And that's what I try and provide to my guys. But you definitely feel naked sometimes. Well, I don't know how it works with human resources or if you run around naked around there, but uh, <laughs> no, we're not in the office right now, so Zoom calls. Luckily, are fun. you're a, yeah, podcast, so you're safe. <laughs> That's right. Hey, Greg, what are you driving right now? And what is your favorite? He's drinking. He's not driving not right now. Now this moment, oh, like oh, what's oh. in his driveway? Okay. Did he? All right. And if you could buy any new truck, what would it be? So my daily driver is uh, my Raptor. Uh, 2017, I think Gen Gen 2, one of the early Gen 2s. Uh, I love that thing. It's got everything. I don't need, you know, I, those things drive great. They give you everything you need. I don't know what else, you know, um, besides maybe uh, massage massage seats or some. But uh, so that's my daily driver. Um, and uh, what I'd buy, I guess, if I could buy anything right now, is get my hands on one of those new two door. Uh, Broncos before you know anyone else because I'm in a waiting list like everybody with uh, with Ford to get to get one of those things. Oh man, talk about the starting gun! Except normally when you're at a race, there's like eight guys on the line and the uh, starting pistol go. You know, this is like um, two hundred thousand people <laughs> in a line just waiting to claw over each other too. Well, tell get me, that tell me about going. that, Greg. Like, what on the aftermarket part side are you aware of? I got to imagine that all the everything, every company. It, does that mean it's SEMA? This yes, coming it's year, be crazy. it's all Bronco all the time. Yes. Like, what are you seeing? South Hall's all Bronco. Yeah, no, I think I think you're hitting the the nail on the head there. So, that's the new exciting rig, and 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 you know, until there's that uh, thousand horsepower Hummer that's out, um, it's going to be all about that Bronco for some time. And you know, Jeep's going to try to do some cool things. Um, you know, I hope the Raptor's going to get a V8. I guess that's not going to be twenty twenty. 
or the next model, but maybe the year after that. Uh, is what 2022, I'm the Raptor R, we're being told. So about a okay. year, year and a half away. Yeah. So I've been trying to, you know, run this, uh, try, trying to keep from running my 2017 into the ground, waiting for that V8. But um, yeah, so I, I mean, look, everybody's going to be all over the Bronco. It's just great for the industry. It's, it's you know, maybe it's like an ORW and a full of parts because Jeep is now doing more to make sure that they're relevant you know, and coming out with a V8 and a diesel and you know, everything else that good. they can do. Yeah, competition's a great thing for for consumers. So, so yeah, I think it's going to be neat once those things are out and about. Um, and I can't wait to get one for the company and and be able to play with it and go uh, go have some fun. Well, man, Greg, honestly, thank you for coming on the show. We've we wanted you on in this capacity for so long i mean in southern california four-wheel parts is just iconic it's a giant yeah. and i have a feeling i i truly believe that you will do the same with off-road warehouse because you're not so i believe that there's a, a portion of you that just it's entrepreneurial and you can't turn off that light switch it's on forever but there's a huge portion that you are off-road i mean we didn't even touch on your off-road race career i know you joked that you you didn't do that well but that's that's not true you do really well but you're out there racing and you you're not doing it because you can it's because you love it and it keeps you grounded and in the industry and I, I feel bad for our our East Coast listeners or the, our friends in England and Australia and everywhere like, else where oh, they, Southern California they're, pompousness. They're, here we go. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, yeah. but they're, they're, they can at least go to offroadwarehouse.com yep. and shop. So, or if they want to see uh, Greg in person, check out the new Vegas store, and that's uh, this upcoming Saturday, February 27th. What time is the open house starting at? Uh, 9 a.m. So I think we're going to go nine to nine to five. We should have some. Some uh, off-road racing legends are trying to grab uh, McCachran and B.J. Baldwin or Bryce, a couple of the Vegas locals to come out as well. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's Vegas is crazy right now. It's nuts because you go into these casinos and they're freaking empty. Ghost towns. Um, the hotel, it's a ghost town, and it's, it's nuts, but the hotels are cheap. So, yeah, if anyone's looking for a reason to go to Vegas, uh, another reason, uh, come on out. Uh, if you're not in that market, come on out and – Check out the store. We got giveaways all day long and uh, a bunch of fun stuff happening, cool trucks and Jeeps there. And, uh, yeah, so it should be a good time. Well, I'm definitely uh, excited for you. I'm, I'm happy that you're you're back at it. I think it's exciting that you're taking over uh, a brand like ORW that is huge regional but really bringing it to the next level. And I think it's exciting. I mean, I, I've known you for my whole career here, and it's been fun to, uh, to watch what you did at Four Wheel Parts. But, you know, I was – you know, a little bit sad when it I saw that you weren't there anymore because the Adler family was so intertwined in that brand. But to see you back now and and putting the the band back together, if you will, to launch uh, the new version of ORW is going to be fun for us to watch. And if there's any way that we can uh, help spread the news, let us know. Oh, I think we are. Oh, I mean, uh, in the future, I see more more <laughs> more news spreading. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, like X. Yeah, we'll have we'll have plenty of news and uh, love to uh, connect, stay connected with you guys and. Appreciate the time. My my wife doesn't let me talk about this stuff too much anymore. So uh, it's 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 you know healing to spend some time with you guys. <laughs> well, next time hopefully we can do it over uh, over beers because I I think there's a little alcoholism in all of us. Right? Yes, <laughs> <laughs> never hurts to have a cold beer. It opens uh, opens up the doors. Budget. All right, Greg, you're the best. Thank you so much for the time, Greg Adler, yeah. head m- in charge at Off Road Warehouse. Thank you, buddy. Thanks, fellas. Yeah, thank you, guys. It was fun. You got See it. See you. All right, bye.
Homie, do you know what time it is? I think it's time to turn on. <laughs> What's that voice? What? Stop, stop, stop. What's that voice? It's my sexy voice. Wait, give it to me again. The news over here on the Truck Show Podcast. It's no, that's a, that's real a, sexy. That's just a smoker. No, smokers like this. <laughs> hey, get you want some scrambled eggs with some smokers ass? What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. What's new in trucks? We need to know. Lifted, lowered, and everything in between. What's happening in the world of trucks? Ah! Solid. That was a good one. Solid. That was a good one. I heard yeah. that uh, you are uh, working on some... Some news for the Truck Show podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, as you know, there's a lot of diesel drag racing events. So, well, not during COVID times, but pre-COVID, there have been a lot of, like, ODSS that uh, kind of on the uh, eastern seaboard uh, in through the Midwest. And it looks like uh, there might be one finally making its way to the West Coast. Uh, some of the guys behind UCC, those organizations are getting behind this. So it's called the Hot Shot Secret Whole Shot Diesel Series. Whoa! <laughs> Woo, yeah. no, hold on, say that. <laughs> Can you say that three times fast? Go. I'm going to try. The Hot Shot Secret Whole Shot Diesel Series. The Hot Shot Secret Whole Shot Diesel Series. The Hot Shot Secret Whole Shot Diesel Series. Wow! Whoa. All right. I did that. Uh, you have just gotten cleared uh, to continue reading this news. Okay, so the season opener kicks off this spring. To be exact, it'll be Saturday, April 24th, with the Golden State Diesel Fest at the Sacramento Raceway Park. Uh, there'll be some live streaming, etc. Sounds like a pretty cool event. As you know, Holman, there aren't that many diesel events on the West Coast. There's some there's some truck poles, tractor poles, things like that, but nothing for like the uh, for the regular guy to get involved in. So that sounds like it's. Uh, I'll, I'll bring you more news as I as I learn more. But uh, those are those are fun events. In other news, uh, Holman just upgraded his tools in his garage. No. No, I did. Oh, you did? Yeah, I just uh, dropped some uh, coin on... Uh, oh, let me guess. Don't tell me. Yeah. Don't tell me. Yeah. Don't tell me. Yeah. Uh, is it... Uh, 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 the, the starts with a B that they're... Not bull, bullseye, buckeye, uh, bull... What is that brand? They're, Ryobi. No, not Ryobi. Oh. oh, wait. Are these hand tools or electric tools? No, I, I, we, ha- we had this debate about tools... And I no, had, but are these like snap-on I, hand no, tools? No, no, no. I'm getting are to they, it. Okay. We had this debate about tools. Yeah. We talked about power tools. We talked about big yellow and big red and who else and all that. Sure. And I've been researching like a crazy mad person. And I've had a bunch of stuff in my cart for quite a while now. And last night, uh, after doing a bunch of house projects this past weekend and smelling ozone coming out of my uh, non-brushless motor for my... 10-year-old craftsman drill that has lived a very hard life and is still going strong, mm-hmm. I decided, you know what? It's time. Okay, so it's again, time. these are cordless yep. Uh, yep. cordless products that you bought. Yep. So I, I just bought another DeWalt product, and uh-huh. I know that you. we talked about this before. I'm a DeWalt fan, okay. uh, but I, I'm also uh, willing to be a turncoat. So if you work for <laughs> Milwaukee or Makita, I'm, I'm all ears. I want to have somebody from one of these companies on to talk about their automotive tools. I would love to. That's a great idea because every single listener's got tools. Well, and it's like Ford versus Chevy, right? Right. It's like it's the battle. And I, what reminded me of so this is what's cool is uh, in my inbox uh, or my uh, my cart, if you will. Well, my inbox right now I just got an email notification saying it shipped. That's what I got excited. Okay. Uh, so in my cart now, did you buy? Is this a uh, this would be a twenty or twenty four volt uh, drill? This is their M eighteen series. Oh, so this uh, you bought the Milwaukee. I did go with the Milwaukee. And I, I studied the DeWalt, and the DeWalt stuff was so freaking confusing that I gave up on the brand. 
So here's there is where I was bummed. I'm, so I'm, much crap. I'm standing in a Home Depot. This is Saturday. Yeah. And I'm about to buy my DeWalt. Uh, it's a drywall tool. Yeah, it's like an oversized. Nails, yeah. yeah, it's like With an the, oversized Dremel tool. Yeah. Oh, it's got like the big uh, pointy nose on it for drywall screws. Or no, 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 no. This is so I can cut holes in drywall. Oh, it's, like, oh, it's like a Dremel tool. Got it. But the blade, it's a spiral bit. Yeah. And because uh, I'm, I, I don't know why I'm just drilling a ton of holes in drywall these I days. I know why because <laughs> you're putting speakers in all over your house. But it, yeah, yeah. So moving, you know, switches and th- this and that. So I get up to the counter. And I flipped the box over just before I lay it down. It says, batteries and charger not included. And it's 159 freaking bucks yep. with no batteries. You know what they call that? Tool only. Yep. So then uh-huh. I put it back and I go, you know what? Screw that. Mm-hmm. Now it's time I'm going to step up into something in Milwaukee. Yeah. Right? Oh, but that's a different battery platform. Exactly. So then I realized Milwaukee doesn't make one. At least they don't carry it home, at Home Depot. So what do I but, do? But if you go on Home Depot and order it, it's one day delivery. Oh, okay. okay. One day. Okay. So I look and there is a uh, a Ryobi version yeah, of that, yeah. and I'm like stoked. It's sixty bucks. Yeah. If you're never, it, listen, sixty bucks. Ryobi. I have a lot of Ryobi stuff for things I only need once a year or less. Right. The stuff I'm going to use every day, uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna stand tall for. So. I go to take that one and yeah. I look at it, battery not included. Well, it's only so 60 I, bucks. Of I course. don't buy it. No, I couldn't even find the batteries. I looked for Amazon. 15 next minutes. Day. I didn't want to do it. So okay. I went home defeated. I didn't buy the tool. Yeah. I go on harborfreight.com uh-huh. and I bought an electric one for $30. Well, there you go. Perfect. Harbor Freight. One, one and done. Nothing wrong we with that. We need someone from Harbor Freight on because well, we, Freight on. we all shop at Harbor Freight. At least we should. And I just think they, they feel such a un, unique niche, right? Kind of like, I don't want to call them disposable tools because I've had stuff from Harbor Freight that I've beaten into, and, and, and it's still rugged enough to live on. I, I've got plenty of stuff from Harbor Freight. It just depends what the need is. If it's something you're going to rely on, I personally will stand tall and I like a little bit higher quality for something that is minimal use, one-time use, or you're only used a few times a year. Get the you get the warranty super cheap. Go grab it. Right. You know, or if it's some they have all sorts of specialty tools. But anyway, so I decided that I was going to uh, basically start over. New battery platform, new company, new everything. Now uh, Milwaukee's got that one line. What's it called? Like their their top echelon. Oh my God! There's so much stuff. There's no, the, there's there's the there's, red nope, lithium. Nope. Then there's the. Uh, uh, Dewalt has the atomic. Uh, I got all fuel stuff. Fuel, that's the yeah. one. So I I got everything fuel, brushless, M18. So I had some gift cards that I've been hoarding for like two years. So I had a pretty sizable chunk, and I just decided I, I, I every once in a while I go on Home Depot, and I look and see in my cart, and I noticed they have a deal going on right now. That's that normally they're like, oh, we'll give you a hard. A pack out with you know f- ten tools. So I originally looked at the ten tools. I'm like, eight of those I don't need right now, and they're giving you like last year's tools, or they're giving you non-fuel. Those are you- spendy, by the way. And I and but, I, the, the, but the pack is six hundred bucks on up. So if you spend four ninety nine or more, you get hundred and fifty bucks in savings. And I'm like, okay. So what I decided to do was see which one of the tools I picked had the best deal with two five amp batteries. So combo kit of the tool I wanted with two batteries included, and then I bought just the tool of everything else. And then I didn't have to buy the combo pack. I got exactly the tools I wanted. 
I and it wasn't tied into half the tools being fuel and half of them not, or these being brushless but not fuel, and you know, it's so conf- it's like mattress shopping. It literally is taking me over a year to pull the trigger and decide to do this. So um, I did it. I am getting my delivery tomorrow. So if you're curious, I got the uh, the Shockwave Impact Duty quarter inch hex shank socket adapter set, so I can do quarter, three eighths, and half. I got the Shockwave Impact Duty Alloy Steel Drill and Driver Bit, the 100-piece set. Wow. I uh, I stood tall, and I got the M18 Fuel Surge, which is their hydraulic drive, 18-volt lithium-ion brushless quarter-inch hex impact driver, mm-hmm. tool only. Yep. Got the M18 Fuel Gen 2 18-volt lithium-ion brushless cordless mid-torque half-inch impact wrench with friction ring. And so this replaces my, my Craftsman. I was thinking... You know, the big daddy, the Mac daddy, is like a 1,000 pound-feet of torque, some ridiculous. That's like what you use on, like, Caterpillar and, you know, tracks and dump trucks and things like that. I'm like, that's a little overkill. I don't need that. So I looked up the specs of my, my 10, probably 12-year-old Craftsman uh, half-inch, which is still going strong, and I decided I'm going to use that in my Jeep because it usually spends most of its time there anyway for changing tires on the trail and things like that. So it'll just live there for now on, and I'll, this will be my, my garage tools. And the Craftsman's done everything I ever wanted. And so I'm like, I want to see the specs because do I get a mid-range? Well, the Craftsman's like 200 pound-feet of torque, and this is like 525 or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, it's double what my Craftsman is plus, so I'll, I'll be good there. And then the last thing I picked up was the M18 Fuel 18-volt lithium-ion brushless cordless half-inch drill driver kit with five, two 5-amp-hour five batteries, charger, and hard case. What's the total bill on that package? I'm not telling you. Uh, I'm going to guess you spent s- <clears throat> seven and a quarter for everything. Am I even close? Mm-hmm. Or am I low? Uh-huh. <laughs> Listen, Milwaukee's spendy. Yeah, I mean, you I, went big, but I had I had gift cards. I had gift cards, so I didn't spend that, and things were on sale. Well, so I got a. I say, let, let me put it this way: you did spend it. I saved one hundred and ninety dollars. Yeah, but you had to spend a lot to save the money. Yeah, but it, I'm starting over. Yeah, I'm starting over from scratch. Hey, so if you, if you guys know anyone that works for Milwaukee, Dewalt, Makita, we'd love to hear from someone because this is that. Uh, uh, we've had this discussion many times, and I want to find out is there is there marketing BS when it comes to tools that we shouldn't fall for. Yeah, like battery voltage on the platform and things yeah. like that. Hey, well, speaking of tools, I have a side note. Yeah. So my father, uh, being the awesome dad that he is, yes. got me a- Did your dad also help you tear down a 50, 60-year-old uh, shed from the side of your house this weekend? Well, the funny thing is uh, two years ago he did. Oh, okay. All right. So, he's uh, awesome. Yeah, and he'll be 80 this year. So he was, yeah, uh, he did. that. No, so what he did is he, he went to, uh, I wanted a big tool chest. Okay. And I cannot afford a uh, a Matco, a Snap-on, whatever. And I couldn't even afford the Icon at Harbor Freight. So I got the U.S. General, okay? 72-inch, okay. six-foot. We ordered this in December. It's for my birthday, uh, right before Christmas. And he, he orders it, gives me the, the receipt and says, they're going to, uh, they can ship it to you or you can go get it at your local store. And I'm like, oh, no, I'll just I'll borrow a truck from work or our long bed and I'm going to get it, go get it. I'm super stoked. What's the date today? It's uh, second, third week of February. Yeah. Tuesday, February Not 16th. Not in stock yet. No. Not in stock. Freaking COVID 
has has decimated, decimated yeah. the port of Los Angeles and the port of oh, Long we, Beach. There's literally 50 ships sitting off the coast of SoCal right now. You can see them uh, when you're down in Huntington Beach, yeah. 20 miles south of Long I Beach. I posted pictures on my Instagram from when I flew out to Tennessee of, of them all sitting out there. So I just uh, don't have my toolbox. And you know what? Like Again, this goes back to the Harbor Freight thing. They're... I went in the store, and no, it's it's not a Matco. It's not a Snap-on. It's not uh, any of those big brands. But I will tell you, for $1,000, you're getting a lot of freaking tool chest. Heck yeah, you are. For for a grand. It's, you know, it's 1100 bucks and, and some change, or get it, get it for 1000 even if you get the right Harbor Freight coupon. I, I'm stoked on it if I ever get it. But, dude, it's been, it's going on 45 days overdue now. Thanks, COVID. Yeah, I'm not thinking COVID because uh, that has ruined my uh, my last year. That has not been uh, not been fun. All right, well, on to uh, other news. Did you see? No. And the reason I say see and not hear on this particular one is uh, GM, uh, in honor of uh, the start of Mardi Gras, uh, released a video of the Hummer EV playing in the snow, making what they called powder donuts. No, I did not see that. And I'd play the video, but it's electric and it doesn't make any noise. Oh, we gotcha. Did you hear? No. Uh, the <laughs> new Ram that is the shortest no ever. It is the shortest no. <laughs> um, there's a joke in there somewhere. Uh, new Ram 1500 HFE for uh, high fuel economy eco diesel has boosted miles per gallon for 2021. So Ram announced uh, that a new model is going to be joining the 1500 full size pickup truck line for 2021, and it's their new fuel economy champ. Uh, the new 2021 Ram 1500 Tradesman HFE eco diesel will be rated by the EPA at. 33 miles per gallon on the highway. Yes. <laughs> 23 in the city. Uh-huh. And 26 combined. Not bad. Uh, this makes it the most fuel-efficient full-size pickup truck ever offered by Ram. Is that true? Uh, yes. And so uh, the Ram uh, focused on four main areas as part of the Tradesman HFE package. Uh, first is aerodynamic. So it gets a bed cover, new front grille, and bumper design. That improves airflow. Uh, different tires with low rolling resistance. And finally, a 321 rear axle ratio to help boost fuel economy. Now, you said low rolling resistance. That means it's going narrower or it's a super I, it, tight tread pattern? It doesn't say what the size is. It just says that oh. these are low rolling resistance tires. They are 10-speed tires. Um, and little skinny ones, right, on road bikes? Sure. They don't look like it from the photo. They look like normal Ram tires. So. No, no, no. These are like uh, Greg Luganis tires. These are... Uh, <laughs> wait, wait, he's the swimmer. Who am I thinking of? Who's the bicyclist? What are you talking about? Who's the bicyclist? I don't know what the, you're talking the about. The testicle guy. These are regular... The guy with Lance Armstrong, Lance Armstrong. He's not the <laughs> testicle guy. Listen, yeah. these have regular <laughs> tires. They're Bridgestones. They're not 10-speed tires. You're sure either. about that? And they aren't like the uh, Tour de France where when you crash, your bike pedals and wheel keep going because okay. you have a hidden electric motor inside. All right. So the reason I said that this was the most uh, fuel-efficient Ram truck is because Chevy and Ford are still a little bit ahead. The 21 F-150 hybrid rear-wheel drive is 25, 26, and 25, beating it on uh, combined. The four-wheel drive 2021 F-150 Power Stroke Diesel is 20, 27, 23, uh, which beats the hybrid F-150 on highway, but not in city or combined. And... uh, that's interesting that the highway is so much better and that you're suffering in uh, stop-and-go traffic with the diesel. Yeah, right? Hmm. Well, I think the electrification you know, helps with that. The other thing is uh, the reason the Power Stroke diesel four-wheel drive uh, is rated lower than Ram or Chevy is you have to get a 4 by 4 so there's no two-wheel drive option ah. on that, uh, at least according to the interwebs. Yeah, um, but the uh, transfer cases are lightweight and aerodynamic. 
Well, they are aerodynamic. They are tucked up in the bodywork. Uh, the Tradesman HFE EcoDiesel will start at uh, 43935 if you are also looking for a highway champ of a truck that can get you uh, way more than 30 miles per gallon. So I think it's a pretty good deal for, for that vehicle. Would you buy one? At 43? Mm, n- n- nah, no. Why? At, at, uh, there, I would, there are other options I'd prefer. Like? Like a TRX? I mean, it doesn't compare in any way. By the way, TRX is not 43. Uh, in fact, not only is it not 43. I use 43 no, 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 as a down payment. Hold on, hold on. Listen to this. Mm-hmm. Not only is a TRX not 43,000, we found a dealer online that marked one up 50,000. I, so I you saw couldn't, that. So you couldn't even get a TRX markup for, I mean, come on. Bonkers. That, but that was the, uh, the not the, what do you call the uh, inaugural edition? What do you call it? Launch edition. Launch edition. Yeah, but it's uh, just stupid though. A retail price of ninety three thousand for the launch edition, but they marked it up fifty thousand. It'll cost one forty three, one forty five. Do you think someone will actually pay that? Yeah, of course they will. Do you really want to be first? Hmm. Listen, I, I'm I'm working with my uh, my friend who uh, whose family owns a Jeep and Ram dealership to come on the show. Uh, we're trying to find a date. He's going to talk it. He's going to talk to us about dealership practices, truck buying, and his dealership does not do markups. So it'd be interesting for his point of view of why they don't play that game. And I think there's some obvious reasons, but maybe not. So anyway, we're going to get him on the show and we're going to walk you through what it's like to buy a truck, what you need to know, and what shady practices are out there. I think that'll be a good episode. Yeah, I'm excited about that. Uh, and he, uh, his TRX is one for sticker. No markup over there. Hmm. Could have made some extra money. You know, sometimes it's not about the money. It's about your relationship with your customer. No, but greed is good. I saw it in a movie one time. Did you really? Yeah. How'd that end? Uh, not not well. Uh, Jeep Wrangler half doors are officially open for no, business. No, this is when you say, did you hear? Uh, I couldn't hear because I had half doors and uh, no top. All uh, the wind was going by. Well, I'll do it anyway. No. 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 <laughs> All right. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Wrangler JL finally getting half doors? Uh, overdue, I think. Okay. Uh, I would agree with that. What I'm curious is, um, what do you think a two-door 21 Jeep Wrangler half-door option costs? So I'm getting the two front doors, yep. half doors. Yep. I, I believe you're getting dual doors. I think you're getting a full door and half doors together. Oh. The option. I'm going to say uh, $3,300. All right, twenty three fifty for the base uppers and twenty five fifty for the premium uppers. The premiums have uh, the uh, the nice twill cloth, you know, fabric to match the premium tops. Uh, if you were to do a four door, the option adds thirty nine ninety five for the base or forty three ninety five for the premium uppers. Uh, certain four door, half door, and top combinations can approach eighty four hundred dollars in options. Ouch. Uh, for example, if you wanted the half doors with the thirty nine ninety five Sky One Touch Sliding Power Cloth Top option, which is like the rag top roof with a, the upper that slides back, uh, like the Eco Diesel I picked you up in that one. I loved it. That was super sick, but not super affordable. Nope. I know that's a ton of cash, but the dual door group um, is more than just half doors. For starters, on lower trims that otherwise don't offer power-heated door mirrors and speed-sensitive power locks, the premium uppers represent the only way to get those features. The base examples still bring otherwise unavailable power locks to the entry-level sport trim. Also, you technically receive more door because you do get those complete set of uh, full doors. 
So, I mean, it's it's expensive. The big but, question is, are you going to buy them? Uh, no. I, I don't have any reason for half doors. You don't? No. Why? Because I like windows. I'm old now, and I like my comfort. Oh. I think it'd be fun. No, it is Off fun. Off-road? Oh, well, on-road, it's fun to drive them. Yeah. Honestly, one of my best days ever in the desert was in a soft-top Jeep with half doors at, like, 7.30 a.m. on a sun- summer morning where it was, like, 65 outside. It was going to be a 100-degree day. And the temperature is awesome. And I was just bombing down this dirt road, full on wind everywhere. It was amazing. I still look at it as a red Jeep. Well, it gives you the feeling of like a, a side by side. You know what I mean? Yeah, in like, a way, yeah. yeah. Yeah, there's just there's just times where uh, you, you want to have that. Times so. like these. It's Foo Fighters lyrics. I Go thought ahead. you were going to play it for, no. for some no. reason. All right. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you hear? How about no? Will uh, GM officially build a supercharged Escalade SUV? Yes. Uh, rumors are saying so. It's horsepower wars. uh, Every manufacturer is going to go full tilt until they can't any longer. Um, Like Stellantis uh, disbanding the SRT team. Well, maybe I'll take that back. (laughs) 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 No, I think that they are going to do the same thing. I think Stellantis, if you haven't heard, they say SRT is not going away, but the team that is responsible for developing such product is is being disbanded and going bye-bye. They're going to... Those engineers will find new homes within the Stellantis group. Is that, is that correct? Uh, I mean, nobody knows for sure, but that's the conjecture coming out from a press release and a few interviews and things like that. Who knows? So the Stellantis... Well, I'm I mean, sorry. We, listen, we've been talking that the Hellcat is, is going away due to emissions, so it's no surprise that that team working on those platforms are doing other things now. Maybe there won't be an SRT. Maybe SRT is just a brand. Maybe their engineers are busy doing other cool stuff like, uh, you know, taking tours in electrification. I Now, do you yeah. think that because Stellantis is heavily owned by groups like Peugeot and they're very invested in the European uh, move to yeah, so there's more go Fren- electrification. Yeah, there's more French on the board of Stellantis than there are Americans or Italians. And so I think the uh, the French obviously uh, have some really strict standards, especially around Paris and emissions goals and things like that. So I don't know how they feel. They knew what they were buying, um, but I just don't think that uh, big horsepower V8s are their cup of tea. So I don't know. Uh, I would I would say jury is out on this one. I don't think jury's out. I think jury is in session, and they voted no. Hey, did you uh, did you hear? Actually, did you see? No. Oh, wait, I did that one already. Yeah. Hey, did you see? No. You didn't see? Yes, no, you no. did. No, I didn't. That twenty one Raptor getting massive air on the dunes? No, I didn't. You didn't see that? Uh-uh. Uh, look at this, my friend. Let me... Oh, wow. Not to be done by that TRX that launched uh, in that viral video a this few is uh, a month a, ago or so. a YouTuber? Or who is this? Well, Raptor.World posted it on their Instagram, and it looks real, and there's a film crew there, and it looks like it lands okay, So, but it's on the dunes where it's soft and sandy. It's just... um, Do we know what dunes? Like, is this a SoCal uh, thing? Probably, I would imagine so. I don't know much about it other than there appears to be a a, a next-generation Raptor um, that they're doing a commercial shoot. Oh, this is official. This is, again, not a YouTuber. Well, somebody posted on... Raptor.world, but it there's a camera car there and a bunch of stuff, so assuming it's for a commercial, so we'll see. Or one of those, you know, hero shots where they're willing to, uh, uh, you know, destroy the truck to get that shot 
that'll be on everything, you know, in the marketing material. Right. But it looks like it lands okay. I mean, it's hard hard it, to tell. It doesn't I mean, nosedive? And no, no. They, it definitely looks like it's weighted in the back. Um, this It got some serious hang time, though. It's, it's literally in the foreground is a Jeep JL, and it is on screen above the roof of that JL. Dang. So, I mean, it looks like, and that's the rear tires. It looks like the fronts are probably... No lie, 10 feet off the ground. How much wheel travel is that uh, we we expecting again? Well, we don't know which version it is, so anywhere between 13, 14 in the front and 14, 15 in the back. That's not enough. It's going to hurt. I mean, it looks like it does fine. Hmm. We'll just find out when that uh, those photos or that commercial comes out and we go, oh, we saw the, uh, saw the behind the scenes of that. Did you see? No. Uh, you kind of have to see this one. I don't know if you remember uh, 2019 uh, SEMA show. Uh, Flat Out Autos had a 2018 Chevy Tahoe, and they put a retro-looking SUV-inspired grill, like from a '68 uh, C10 or K5 Blazer, on the front of them. They look I, like this is this. not sounding from. Oh, yeah, that is absolutely familiar. And I got the guy's business card, and we never called him. What? What's wrong with you? Uh, you and I both talked about it about What's lining this guy wrong up. Wrong with you, Lightning? He was on the upper South Hall in the off-road section. What's wrong with you, Lightning? Call the guy. I don't know if I could even put my hands on that card anymore. Well, just Google Flat Out Autos and call the man. Listen, he's doing a GMC K5 Jimmy style one now. That that right there is a madman. I do think I know where that is, though, now that I think about it. So I right. think it's in the upper right-hand desk drawer at my office. Your homework is to uh, do that. Okay, because it's got a picture of that on there. I remember looking at the business card thinking, that's oh, kind of a cheesy card for such a cool truck. You should look at that card going, why am I not calling this person to get him on the podcast? Yeah. Okay. I'll do that. Well, before I uh, head over to my office to get that business card, I think we should launch into some listener email. You email? Yeah. I email. Do it. We email. That's right. Everybody email. Type it up. You email. Proofread. I email. Send it. We email. Click it. Everybody email. All right. Fruitcake, who's going first? Got one here from uh, Jason Gaynor. We're rocking out. Bow, bow. Uh, says still loving the show. The live feed last week was cool as well. Oh yeah, that's that time that we did that uh, Instagram thing, and everybody thought it was cool. And then we were supposed to do happy hour, and then I think we forgot. We didn't forget. I uh, I edited it out of that show, so we didn't talk about it. Oh, our listeners don't know that we. Were we don't know to that, do that we did no. that. Because I didn't want us sounding like bigger fools than we already are. I'm going to do it by myself if you're not going to do no, it. No, I'm totally into it, it, but I, right. we weren't prepared to do it, so I took it out. Well, he says, I listened to the Camberg episode again and ordered the upper A-arms of Fox Shocks or his 2019 Duramax HD. It's already leveled, but it rides awful. Yeah, they're not the best riding trucks. He says, I feel certain after listening to Jerry explain the system on your show that this will help the ride. I let the rep on the phone know I ordered directly from them because of the time Jerry spent on your show. I could have saved a bit more by going through 4WP, uh, but felt better supporting them directly. The rep knocked off a bit for the truck show mentioned. Once I get the time to install the package, I will let you know. I'm waiting on my tire guy to get access to the Toyo AT3 that Holman recommended. Local distributors out due to COVID. Damn you, COVID! Dude, they have Great a tire, they, they've had a really rough time oh, keeping that thing in stock. Dude, the that tire is, is flying, crushing, flying off the yeah. shelves. Yeah, it's it's everything we've done with them so far. I put them on uh, my buddy's Land Cruiser, and uh, dude, he loves them. Loves put them, them. on uh, Ford F two fifty. Put them on a Ford F one fifty, and we just put them on 
uh, a uh, 2020 Ram. He says, uh, I'm nowhere near done building the truck. A decked system is probably next in spring. Good call. All right. We'll just make sure you let him know you heard it from, uh, from us here. He says, a couple of business items. Number one, was there ever a true tow episode? I listened to the Gator Made episode. I have a 2012 or so tandem axle utility. That's Gator Made, and I absolutely love it. Um, no. And number two, <laughs> not sure what else I had, but keep up the great show. Really appreciate you guys putting the work in. I really didn't listen to podcasts till this year, and I'm running through your catalog quickly. Keep it up. Mounter those parameters. And friends don't let friends have truck nuts. Uh, on a separate note, have you seen the tire valve stem caps that would complete the truck nuts ensemble? Trying to keep it family friendly, and that's from Jason Gaynor. So, Jason, thank you for that, and uh, appreciate you uh, supporting the people who have uh, both sponsored and appeared on our show. T-shirt size subject line from uh, Lenny Rowland. Thanks for reading my haiku. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I did. The podcast has been really great, and it's teaching me how much I don't know about my truck and all the possibilities I can't afford with it. So the wife is very good at telling me how much money we don't have. However, I will definitely be getting the Bill Stein 5100 shocks to lift and level it, and I'm hoping to uh, go to 35s this year. By the way, my personal truck is a 2010 Ram 1500 Bighorn 4x4, 5.7 liter Hemi, uh, with a real cold air intake as the only mod right now. So my work truck is a Volvo Semi yeah, with a Cummings, he says as a joke. With a G in parentheses. Uh, X15 efficiency series engine. Uh, a measly 450 horsepower. But it's got, Holman, guess the torque. This is, again, this, uh, is, a, uh, this is a Volvo Semi with a Cummins X15 efficiency uh, series. 15, it's efficiency. I'm going 450 with, horsepower. How much torque? Uh, How many? Four, 1450. Close. 1750. That wasn't close. <laughs> I mean, not even a little bit close. Uh, that's what you get for that one. Anyway, you guys asked uh, me to send you my t shirt size since you won't be sending me my decked toolbox. Uh, I wear an XL. Thanks for all the hard work you guys do. Hopefully, I can see you in uh, on the trail sometime soon. And that's from uh, Lenny, and there's no t shirt headed your way. How, how many horsepower was that? 1750. No, that was torque. How many horsepower? Oh, I'm sorry, 450. Well, somebody's Wrangler is going to be around 400 here pretty soon. Oh, yeah. That'll be an interesting story we'll have to uh, tell soon. Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to that. In fact, we Holman's doing some upgrades. Yeah. I decided that I was going to break my rule and throw a blower on it. And we're going to- Wait, wait. You said when when you say break your rule, you didn't have a no blower rule. Yeah, I did. You did? Yeah. I told myself I wasn't going to go crazy on this one, and I just I wasn't going to do it. Then I'm going to do it. Do you remember so, when I was going to leave my dually stock? Yeah, that's where I am with the jail. <laughs> didn't, didn't work out too well for me. Neither will yeah, it for you. The jail has been carefully curated. Every product on it has a purpose and a mission. Spent me three years of doing my build list of exactly what I wanted. I'm 90% of the way there. And my last thing was I just want some more low-end torque. I don't need to uh, – I'm not racing anyone. Don't need to do four-wheel burnouts. I'm not doing anything stupid. I just like to keep it in six gear and cruise control going Oh, wait, uphill. so you're not doing hemi-swap. I'm not doing hemi-swap. doing blower. Hmm. We might be doing some stuff with banks, too. All right. I'm into that. Uh, you're the next email. All right. Got this one from uh, Steve Schrag. He says, right wing and holier than thou. <laughs> okay. Wait, what, what am I? I'm you're right, right wing. Right wing. Lightning right wing. I'm okay. holier than thou. Okay. Which, uh, okay, fine. He says, I heard you were looking for King Cab 4x4 hard bodies. I've got a couple. Uh, if you guys are listening, you know that Nissan has put out a request for our listeners to help find a Nissan hardbody 4x4, preferably a King Cab, 
that could potentially grace their Heritage Center, and uh, we would get a chance to drive it before they take delivery of it. So the Heritage Center is Nissan's museum, correct? I think that's where they uh, put try and get an example of uh, most most everything that's been through the product lineup. For those of you who have been listening uh, religiously to the show, you know Nissan put out a request for our Truck Show podcast listeners to locate a King Cab 4x4 hard body. And uh, you guys have been sending us some stuff, nothing... Wait, wait, don't, don't gloss over this. So the backstory is that our friends at Nissan reached out and said, hey, if you find one of these, we'll buy it. Uh, but before we take possession of it, the Truck Show podcast can take it for a spin. You know, for it sounded like we might get it for some time. So we're so motivated to get one. Yeah, so we can spend time in it. Uh, so he sends us a picture of this beauty. Oh, my God, sweet condition. And then he sends a picture of this beautiful SEV6. Okay. These are ones that he owns? Yep. And then he sends a picture of the SEV6 getting a, uh, a cab off. No, wait a minute. Why does he have so many? Well, this is what he says. He says, the silver one's a daily, but there was something wrong with the engine and the white one. I tore into it found that it was too small. <laughs> the and engine was too small. So he said, that's being remedied the way it always is with an LS swap. Oh, wow. So we may need to talk to Steve here. And he says, uh, so everyone at home keeping score, I have two 4x4 King Cab hard bodies, and you don't have any. Well, that's accurate. And he says, P.S. more NPR car talk, please. (laughs) (laughs) Five stars. Subject line from Joseph. Hey, guys. Love the show. My buddy Marshall introduced me to your show, and I started episode one in March of 2020. I'm currently on episode 130. So a year almost. Okay, yeah, catching up fast. I listen to you guys all the time when I'm working on my projects in my two-car garage. I've been a truck That's, guy. That's uh, one more car garage than you have. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sadly. Uh, I've been a truck guy since I was a kid, so this show is right up my alley. And uh, I currently own an 89 Toyota pickup, an 85 Forerunner, Rock Crawler, a 96 Dodge, uh, 2500 Cummins, an 89 F350 7.3 diesel, and my wife has a 19 Forerunner. I'm currently swapping the 12 valve from the Dodge into my F350. Fummins! That's going to be a Fummins, exactly. And uh, here's some pictures of my progress to keep you guys updated. Thanks for all the great content and five stars. Five star review! Five stars! What a freaking awesome truck collection, and I am beyond jealous. And by the way, this Cummins he's putting in, yeah, I'm seeing some billet parts on there, so Mm. that's going to be a bad boy. Sexy. Okay. Uh, I got this one from uh, Joel Swaim. Message says, uh, who, what, when, where? Says, uh, good morning, Lightning and Holman. I call you that because you said you liked it, LOL. Uh, that's a whole man with a W. Then a whole Like man. whole wheat. Don't do that. Dude, he just moved his crotch around. That was. I'm a listener from episode <laughs> one and email every once in a while. And thanks for the Power Boost episode. I listen every Monday while I weld at an ambulance manufacturer here in Grove City, Ohio. But this isn't the real reason I emailed. I have a big question for you guys about modern trucks. With all the technology and engineering in new trucks like the Raptor and TRX, do you guys think they'll be so sought after like the old trucks, the square bodies, F100s of old days, and Ford Lightning? Just uh, thinking it would make for some long conversation. And five stars. Five star review. Five stars. And keep monitoring those parameters. Monitoring? Did he say monitoring or mountering? He says monitoring. Oh, those boo. Monitor, key he says monitoring right She's there. She's mounter, and then she and says then, monitor. Yeah. yeah. Joel Swaim. Um, No, I don't think they will be. I think that there is a pre-80s, pre-smog, pre-safety, pre-OBD, pre-airbag, pre-all that stuff that are always going to be super expensive and more sought after than anything else. 
I think there's going to be cars in the 80s and 90s that are awesome that uh, if you could find parts for or the computers or the guy in his garage who knows when the diode on the board goes out or something like that to keep them going or, you know, they just get more complex. And as things get more complex and break, uh, they're going to be harder when the supply chain disappears. So I think that there's a supply chain for the vintage iron that is a lot more simple. It's going to take a lot longer, in my opinion, for that to go for those newer era trucks. So I think the vintage stuff will always be a little bit more sought after. Well, you're just a big old wet blanket there, Mr. Holman. No, that's not true. I'm just telling uh, telling you what I think as I see it. Telling you <laughs> what I see as I think it. I, I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> the truck show, the truck show, the truck show, oh, oh. All right, we love hearing from you. Truck show podcast at gmail.com. Dude, I almost forgot our you email almost address. forgot our email. Uh, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com or you can call us. We didn't get to it on this show, but we will on the next. And that's the five-star hotline. 657-205-6105. That's 657-205-6105. Or you can find it easily if you go to our at truckshowpodcast Instagram and just hit the call button. All right, listen. I'm not being a wet blanket. Then I am now because they're just going to outlaw everything we love. And no old trucks will be allowed, and you'll have to it'll just be museum pieces. And we'll remember yesteryear like it was yesterday. And that's just going to be how it is. Everybody's going to have to, you know, run off unicorn farts and like magic <laughs> pixie dust and whatever else. And uh, that's it. Now I'm a wet blanket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You just put a freaking damper on this. Why'd you just, stop the no, music? I, I the music's like happy. It's the only no, thing that's happy. You just killed it. No, I didn't kill we it. We were Listen. floating away on a beautiful dirigible, what is that, a hot air balloon or something, and you just, there was like- You mean with an internal combustion engine that yeah, every all the government wants to outlaw just, and say you can't have any fun? And, and the government just bazooka yeah. it, and we just- <laughs> Right to the ground. <sighs> no, I don't think it's going to be. I, I don't. I don't think it's going to be that bad. But I, you know, I do worry. I do worry if they go. Nope, you can't drive that anymore. Or only on Tuesdays, or something really lame like that. And then everybody who's got a classic car, they're just relegated to a museum or something. Mm. Wouldn't that suck? Yeah. And they're like, hey, here's your transponder, you stupid human. While well, you have driverless pods, you know, in and out around you. And how are we going to like uh, the since that since the all of the Teslas will be driving themselves? Yeah. With all the hipsters yeah. from. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley, yeah. uh, behind the like reading uh-huh. as they're just yeah. uh, sipping the, coffee, sipping coffee, uh-huh. whatever, whatever really they do, expensive coffee, yeah, with Arabica their, beans, with their with their pointy shoes and their tight yeah. jeans, yeah, right. And then here we are in our gas guzzlers and uh, rolling coal. What would, what would happen if you had? And we're and we're, and we're dodging them in traffic. No, right? no, no, no. What what would happen if you came to an intersection and it was all autonomous driverless cars and you started doing donuts right through the middle of it? They can't move. They would just be like. Beep, 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 you know, that would be that would be awesome. What if you did that and they just the the algorithm in their computer couldn't handle it, so they just like smoked it out and died. Just exploded. What if that? You, oh, you know how like every kid show that you ever watched that had a bad guy that had some awesome armored vehicle or even Star Wars or whatever, the computer's like. There's a weak spot. Hit that spot there, and it'll destroy everything. Right? Are you talking about like the Death Star where you yeah, can, exactly? Uh, okay. you, you, it's just like use the force, drops right in. What if that's their kryptonite, where you just do donuts in front of it at an intersection, they all just explode? So there's like a so one of the uh, the the electrical engineers, the programmers, the uh-huh. firmware guys yeah. at Tesla planted a weak spot yeah. in the programming, yeah. like that one guy as he gets into his TRX with the freaking six two seven hundred two horsepower. Yeah. Yeah, like we learned in Star Wars. They yeah. put that in the Death Star, like the secret so way. That's our man on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. 
and all you do, just obscure it in tire smoke and burnouts. Yeah. And the Tesla explodes. <laughs> just Well, no. Kills well, the you, dude with no, the pointy no, shoes no, you're not, inside. You're not killing anybody. You're just oh, no? frying the computer so they can't drive anymore. Oh, I see. So then they just become obsolete. Oh, what if that's the whole thing? All of us get on, uh, on you know, uh, together. I'm not even going to name the platform. We just all go to that place where there's free speech. Mm-hmm. And then we all do intersection burnouts like 20 years from now. And then all the autonomous cars die. And then we cheer. Because... We have that would be awesome, stuff. but there is no place for free speech anymore. They, they, <laughs> this this show right now. Oh, that well, yeah. Do you well, think no. in twenty years the infrastructure will be replaced where there aren't gas stations anymore, and that's how they'll they'll just they'll control us in our awesome trucks by just killing off gas stations and replacing them with big batteries? Yeah, it's possible. Yeah, I hope not. It's depressing. I feel sad now. <laughs> you know, uh, the only thing that can make me happier is if you guys will. Uh, Hit us up on socials at LBC Lighting, at Sean P. Holman, or at Truck Show Podcast, and uh, say something that'll cheer us up. Dude, I onboarded like 25 new folks uh, over the last like week. It's probably from Ronnie from C10 Talk, dude. Oh, you think that's what it is? Yeah, I'm wearing his t-shirt today. That is, uh, that is a- it's Like a rip off of the MTV, MTV logo. MTV shirt, yeah. Yeah. He's got some good t-shirt designs, I gotta say. We love Ronnie. Well, it's his wife doing it. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah. His wife's the talented one. She is. Yeah. He just uh, goes up and down ladders with hoses all day. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not a euphemism. Like he's a no, fireman. he's a fire. He's an actual yeah. fireman. Yeah, with, with ladders <laughs> and hoses. <laughs> all right, so we want to thank uh, Nissan. You guys are so awesome for supporting us all these years. If you're in the uh, market for a full size or a mid size pickup, you got the Titan and you got the Frontier. It kicks butt with a class leading 310 horsepower. But if you want to step up into something a little larger, you got the Titan with the zero gravity seats, Fender audio system, and a five year, 100,000 mile warranty, the best in the business. Well, if you want all that, head on over to nissanusa.com where you can build and price the Nissan pickup truck of your dreams, or head on down to your local Nissan dealer where you can point out the truck to the dealer and say, I want to take that one home. And then because you already have a deck system, and now you've got the truck to put it oh, in. Oh, because you've been listening to the Truck Show podcast, you thought the deck system was so amazing that you bought it before you bought your truck? It's no different than buying performance upgrades for the vehicle you don't own yet. You've done that? Yes. Really? So have you. Uh, I don't know if I've done that. You haven't really? I don't think so. We have a lot of listeners. I, I would love to hear from you huh. if you bought parts for a vehicle- You don't own. You don't own, but you're, because you Because future you own. might own it. Yeah, absolutely. And then whether you got it or not, truckshowpodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I've totally done that. Huh. Did you buy a drawer system when you didn't have a truck? I would buy I would buy the drawer system. Absolutely. I, I would like hmm. The toolbox is awesome and I'm super stoked on it because it's A, it's brand new, and if you guys haven't seen it and you are in the market for a toolbox, uh, a cross box, it goes from side to side. That's why it's called a cross box. I I, I you gotta look at it because it's amazing. But the, Are you box explaining? I am box explaining. <laughs> okay, just checking. <laughs> But the is that a thing, box planing? I mean, I think it could be. The only issue with buying the uh, sliding drawer system in advance is that what if you buy a different truck? Then you got to return it and get the right size because they are fitted to your 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 bed. No, you're brand loyal and you're always going to have Nissan Titans. That's it. That's a good point. That's the answer right okay. there. All right. But what you're not always going to have is fresh brakes. True, because they do wear down, especially if you drive as crappy as Holman. Or is aggressive. Hey, did I tell you that when I was in uh, in Tennessee, I got rear-ended by a lady on my way to the airport no. in a brand new 2021 Nissan Titan? You, you were driving a 2021 Nissan Titan? Yeah. And you got rear-ended? Uh-huh. And so she was. She got destroyed, obviously. 
Uh, she clearly didn't have uh, Duralast uh, pursuit pads or <laughs> any type of Duralast brakes at all because uh, I was same direction of travel. I realized I made the wrong turn on the way to the airport. So I turned right down a road, went to the intersection, went to make a U-turn. She comes up from behind me, and as I'm completing my U-turn, slams into the back of me and tries to pit maneuver me in her, uh, in her uh, I guess it was a Tahoe. Oh, I was thinking it was going to be like a Honda or no. something, and she hit me right behind the uh, the rear axle, and uh, all the damage was on the other side of the yellow line. I'm like, did you mix up the pedals, or did you just slam into me? Because why? How much damage was there on your uh, Nissan Titan? I drove it to the airport and parked it. <laughs> oh, did you really? and had to explain to valet that that just happened. He's like, oh, well, there's some damage here. I'm like, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Ten minutes ago. Have you taken any personal enjoyment when you're driving a truck like a Titan or something that's got a little bit of lift on it and a tow hitch, and then you get hit by like an import, and it destroys their hood right where the logo is with the emblem? Yeah, I've, I've been in that import and, and, as and, I hit and something And then you can't even youth. find the mark on the tow hitch on the back of the truck, and yet the import's destroyed. That's happened to me. Were you the destroyer or the destroyer? The destroyer. Well, then it looks like you're the perfect candidate for uh, <laughs> DirtLastParts.com where you can fix all the damage that you've done uh, by running into things like curbs and No, no. I, I, didn't do the, vehicles. I didn't do the damaging. I'm saying that the person that was following you yeah. needed the Duralast brakes. Well, I wish she would have used her brakes at all because she didn't swerve <laughs> and she didn't slam on the brakes. She just slammed into me. There was no skid marks or anything. No, no, no. I literally, as I am making my U-turn, I'm looking over my shoulder, and she's honking at me, and I'm watching her, and I goosed it a little bit to get a little further, and right along the yellow line just slammed in the back of me. So did you cut her off? No. Literally, same direction of traffic. We're going the same way. I had my blinker on. I'm making a U-turn, and she hits me from behind. Like, how is that my fault? She wasn't paying attention to your blinker. <laughs> exactly. I'm like, lady, like, the road is... Four lanes wide, but it's only striped for one. You have plenty of room anyway. So that was a bummer. Hmm. Well, so the moral of the story is she needs uh, Duralast brake rotors and brake pads. Uh, she's going to need a new Duralast car after uh, the damage <laughs> that was sustained after uh, hitting a Titan. I was really impressed. All Duralast parts adhere to OE or better standards. Parts are reverse engineered for design and then tested to meet or exceed the performance level of the OE, and they are readily available from your local AutoZone. I didn't know that. Well, you know, maybe you should head over to DuralastParts.com and get that uh, old pile back on the road. How do you know it's a pile? I'm just guessing because it's in your driveway. <laughs> hey, guy who emailed and said that lightning didn't include an Easter egg at the end of the last show. Well, this is an Easter egg. So, suck it. The Truck Show Podcast is a production of Motor Trend Group. This podcast was created and produced by Sean Holman and Jay Tillis with production elements by DJ Omar Khan. If you like what you've heard, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give us a five-star rating. And if you're a fan of the Truck Show Podcast, we encourage you to visit and patronize our sponsors. 